Hey, welcome back to episode 75 of Warrior's Den. Today's guest is BJJ Black Belt and Corrections Officer uh, Rory Van Vliet, who is a black belt under uh, Island Top Team's Rob Bernanke, uh, famous for the uh, BJJConcepts.net and uh, dick posts and whatnot. Colorful way of explaining conceptual jiu-jitsu. Uh, Rob has previously on uh, the episode a long time ago i'll put uh on the podcast I'll put links for that in the in the, uh, in, the in the episode uh description and uh, rory can also be found at rvd bjj at youtube.com and of course islandtopteam.com and bjjconcepts.net and of course uh, the, uh rory has a, a healthcare uh, control uh, healthcare control strategies and self-defense course uh, the link is a bit uh, hard for me to go over right now so I'll put that in the uh, in the links as well and that is specific for nursing and use of force for nursing in, in hospital settings because he has a wealth of experience and we talk about that um, but first let's talk about the sponsors, which is Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions, if you didn't know that from listening to this podcast. Um, so, of course, if you like this podcast, the best ways to support us, if you're not local, is to go to utcamblog.com and click on support us. And you can either just donate money if you like the content. It's awesome. I appreciate it. Of course, I understand that not everyone wants to just, hey, here's money. But I do appreciate it if you do. Uh, you can go to utkmu.com, very much like bjjconcepts.net, except for Kramaga, uh, though not as uh, many videos because I'm only one guy and I have lots to do. But utkmu.com uh, is the uh, Urban Tactics Kramaga curriculum. Right now is the no uh, beginner white belt and novice yellow and orange belt curriculum is up there. Uh, if you want to access that, there is a free section, though it's limited at the moment. I recently added basic firearm safety uh, videos, though, for free uh, as per the Canadian Firearm Safety and Restricted Courses. Uh, basic how to make it safe, so that is there. Uh, you can also, on the utkmblog.com, you can click on the affiliate links. I did some products and books. I need to update it as I go, but things that I use personally, uh, click on those affiliate links and I uh, love that as well. Now, of course, if you're local and these restrictions go away, because we are uh, still, it's 420 today, actually, didn't even think about it, uh, still dealing with the shenanigans of COVID. So when this garbage ends, uh, you can find us at urbantacticskm.com and sign up for a free trial class and learn uh, Krav Maga as, uh, as I teach it in our the UTKM system, which is nothing special. It's just an organized, structured, conceptual-based system of techniques I learned throughout my Krav Maga journey. And we discuss in the podcast actually about the conceptual approach of uh, we prefer it and find it more useful in the long run. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, before I go into that tangent, uh, Urban Tactics, Krav Maga on Instagram, Urban Tactics Cam on Twitter, though don't really use Twitter because, you know, censorship and the Urban Tactics Kramaga on Facebook. Uh, that's it for now for that. So, yeah, back to our podcast guest, Rory. Um, about two hours, so not, not a too long one. Uh, we had a very productive class. And as it turns out today, Derek Chauvin was in the, what I suspect is the first of the second because I suspect he'll be, he was found guilty in all charges. 
which I don't agree on. The manslaughter one was the one that it's like, okay, maybe, yeah. But we discussed that because it's topical today. And uh, we talk about use of force in policing. We talk about use of force in, in nursing. We talk about it at some point. We talk about conceptual teaching from jujitsu. Um, yeah, no politics on this one. Uh, so if you hate that stuff, lucky on this one, we didn't go in too much. But that's just because uh, Rory has a lot to say about the topics we covered. And I really wanted to get the perspective on use of force as someone who's in corrections. So we didn't talk too much about that for uh, specific obvious reasons. He's an active uh, person. But we talked about the hospital use, you know, use of force for in hospitals and nursing and how it's complicated and legalities. Um, so if you're in security or if you're in uh, you any job that requires use of force, policing, that this is probably a good one uh, for you as we discuss various ideologies on this topic. Um, but other than if you want to support UTKM or Rory for that matter with his YouTube channel or on his, his nursing program for use of force, uh, you can support us. Other than that, I guess here is a awesome podcast with Rory Van Vliet, Island Top Team, BJJ Bluff. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists. Fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Okay, welcome back. I am here with the expert in taint sweeps and dick posts, <laughs> Rory Van Vliet. Um, local people in Vancouver will know what I'm talking about, but for everyone else, uh, let's start with your martial arts background, uh, Rory. Hey, so um, I started in German jiu-jitsu when I was around 19, so 12 years ago, which is basically just Japanese jiu-jitsu with some kickboxing to it. And there was, we were also practicing submission grappling so the no gi stuff on the ground and i found that i naturally started to gravitate towards that and with working in a security force and stuff like that i ended up always resorting to grappling and so i wanted to try and focus more on that and so i moved over to brazilian jiu-jitsu completely and fortunately my instructor rob bernacki the founder of taint sweeps and big posts <laughs> and other awful terminology um I got to start training with him about eight years ago or so. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a blur at this point. It's been so long. Yeah. And so I got my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under him. And uh, yeah, no looking back. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu all the way. Yeah. Well, what, uh, so like what would be some significant differences? Because like if I say German Jiu-Jitsu, like nobody's going to know. <laughs> it was like really. So yeah, that's where, like I said, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. So it's like we did lots of the bullshit stand-up wrist locks and stuff like that uh the self-defense scenarios that some realistic some just 
not going to be like how stuff plays out um where, where like you're practicing the stuff like when someone grabs your shirt but just stands your station in it, stationary and isn't throwing a punch i'm going to do this awesome aikido wrist lock takedown from here and it's just like that doesn't really fly so there's a bunch of stuff like that and i was super into it like i drank that kool-aid and was practicing like lock flows and stuff like I, I i still know all these different wrist locks that are fancy from standing and different shoulder locks and stuff but then when i started doing loss prevention is what i first started with in the security field so i would pretend to shop at a grocery store in plain clothes and i would just hunt people down and catch people when they steal hunt a print <laughs> yeah yeah basically uh and so i would occasionally when i'm arresting somebody have to use force to capture them because they obviously don't want to be there mm -hmm. they want to run and so it always just ended up whether it was me chasing people down and having to drag them to the ground in which then we go into takedowns and Brazilian jiu-jitsu or even when people stood their ground and tried to throw like a strike or something back at me while the german jiu-jitsu self-defense stuff helped me in the sense of being able to close that distance and block some strikes which traditional like if you're doing sport orientated brazilian jiu-jitsu you're probably not practicing that stuff it yeah. helped me in that sense but i still found myself always closing the distance and just grabbing people whether it's just like body lock hugging them it could be ugly as shit because i was i was a white belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time yeah. like i was a brown belt in german jiu-jitsu but the curriculum wasn't tested towards any of the ground stuff mm -hmm. and so but i was just naturally better than the average Joe, as anyone with even a few months of experience in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And because of that, Colin Lanky that helped <laughs> that too. And with just because of the sparring aspect of it, which is really what differentiates say Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from German Jiu-Jitsu or the other like stand up more self-defense orientated Jiu-Jitsu's is that we get to spar it. And so while stuff still sucked and I was still a white belt, I was able to against resisting people feel more comfortable taking them down because I was used to sparring my training partners at the gym. And so I constantly just drag them down to the ground and also work really nicely for like within a use of force aspect, not to hurt people. And I could just control guys until they either completely gave up and would just actually sit there next to me until like the cops arrived. Or sometimes I'd have to stay in full mount or side control, back control until the cops arrived and could take over for me because I was always by myself. Yeah. And so I started to, and I, I tried these wrist locks. I tried the straight arm bar takedown and stuff like that. And I, I we also did security for uh, music events. So I'd be holding the front line at the stage and have to take people down when they rush to try and jump on the stage to dance. Nothing, no like uh, no malice behind like their intent or anything like that, but just drunk people being idiots. And I still could not make this shit work, even though I was practicing at like 30 hours a week. Uh, and I love, I was so entrenched in it. But I kept resorting to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the grappling, yeah. because as I found, it was more legitimate technique as well as that sparring element is the thing that takes you to that next level. And it's really hard unless like, and I'm sure like we've talked about this stuff kind of before when we've uh, trained together and whatnot, where like with the Krav Maga and stuff, when you want to go like that level, it's like you got to wear like next levels of training, protective gear yeah. and stuff like that. Because if you want to actually be able to replicate somebody actually grabbing you and starting to try and take you down and you want to be able to throw these strikes and still have training partners to practice with it's like it's got you got to elevate it to such yeah. a level that's just usually not uh able to be replicated with just the average joes that want to be training some self-defense and have the idea that they are able to defend themselves in a street fight yeah. and it's 
it's it's harder on the body too yeah i mean that for me is is with beginners is one of the hardest things to get into their head it's like listen like we can't go full force with this stuff because somebody is going to get hurt and it's a lot of times it's me because i'm the smallest one there like yeah I don't like doing privates all the time. If they, if it's always like guys your size, I'm like, uh, I just get <laughs> up. And it's it's uh, it's hard for people to understand. Luckily, sports psychology is there and says, hey, if you mimic it reasonably and train nervous system responses, it actually translates into the real world. But getting the average person who's been watching YouTube all day on Krav Maga to understand that, and they just want to go like go hard all the time. Uh, you know, I don't like to go too, too hard with beginners until I know I'm comfortable with them and what they can and cannot do. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can go. But it's mentally, it's, it's a hard thing to, to train. And then you actually need to get that many more iterations versus like jujitsu, because you can safely get the iterations in on a consistent basis. Uh, if yeah, you're... white belts are still dangerous uh, for like being spazzes in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, obviously. Yeah. But just the nature of taking two bodies and putting them on the ground creates more stability and creates uh, an easier time to control the momentum of each other because that's the other problem when you're doing all the stand-up stuff is that even if we just look at a wrestling or judo background, the throws, the the weight transference of, say, you and me grappling each other and taking each other down where you got two full-grown men barreling down to the ground. And if you post your leg the wrong way, if you post your arm the wrong way, catastrophic injury happens. Yeah. And those are going to be usually safer takedowns too, in the sense where you're dropping somebody down to like their butt or their back usually, where if we look at some of the takedowns, like a straight arm bar takedown, which I fucking hate, uh, but it's what's taught for use of force and like our go-to move within law enforcement. Could you explain, explain that specific takedown? So maybe people listening. Yeah. So you're standing beside your opponent and controlling their arm uh, and whether you know what a Russian tie looks like, which is kind of like a better form of control, but you're controlling them from like this escort position. Like imagine a bouncer walking somebody out of the bar beside them. You're holding one of their arms out around the elbow and around the wrist and walk beside them. And then when they start to resist, you're taking your near arm, applying pressure to the back of their elbow to create that hyperextension and magically pushing them down towards the ground into a prone position face down and theoretically then the arm is really easy to bring behind their back for handcuffing procedures there's a bunch of little reasons why people like teaching it within law enforcement because it can be a nice tidy package if it works really well but at the same time when you have to use like a high level of force to drive somebody down you're driving them literally down onto their face yeah it's not hard to look at videos of excessive force and stuff like that where you see a cop take down say a woman in the one example i'm looking at like it was within the detachment i think and he slammed her right down onto her face in the concrete her teeth got knocked out there's blood everywhere from her nose and whatever else got split open and so it's like man like either the technique fails and the guy's going to turn into you immediately or woman or you pull it off but it, because you have to use such a high level of intensity to do it, they're going to be landing in a way that one, we can't break fall very safely if we're looking within the training environment, like we were just talking about. But then even when we're using this in a real life situation, it's like, man, I'm going to wreck somebody. Yeah. And I, I might be within the, uh, the bounds of reasonable force. And I might be able to argue that in court, but I still probably have to deal with the litigation behind that. And actually, deal with possibly being charged and having to actually go to court and even if i am found innocent it's like man that still probably took a year off my life 
yep. being tied up in that, let alone the stress of that, which yeah. is terrifying because you never know how that's going to play out. Yeah. So it's actually interesting because like, uh, you know, obviously a lot of my crowd instructors are Israeli and, and the legal thing is like a disconnect from, from people in, in Europe or, or other places where they have a lot more authority to engage violently as an officer or security. And so like that take you're ta talking about the way, you know, I've been taught, uh, they do it from the shoulder. Now in my curriculum, I don't, ha it's not a beginner thing at all. I'm like, Hey, if you're, you can feel that you can do it safely by all means. But the, the thing I've been told, it's like, Oh, they'll always, they'll always, um, they'll always break fall. And I'm like, no, they won't half the time they land on their arm and yeah. whatever. And I prefer these uh, other takedowns that do sometimes require a little bit of striking, but uh, you're controlling the head at all times. Now, I, if I'm teaching uh, security or police, I'm going to take the striking out and show the modified versions. But I, I think consistently when the legal constraints come in in North America, as we're seeing, uh, in North, it's getting a little nuts is that the striking is not an option anymore at all. And uh, yeah, which is too bad because we're actually having legitimate tools being taken away. Uh, same like uh, the George Floyd case, like Derek Chauvin just, just got just found happened? guilty. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, he fucked up and it was absolutely stupid. But now there's like the idea, like I think in some states, I can't remember if they've even passed it yet or they're looking at passing legislation that if any chokehold was ever applied in the altercation by a cop that even if they didn't have the intent of harming somebody they could be criminally charged just for applying it just for having something wrapped around the guy's neck for a moment like whether it was like a front headlock guillotine control or something like that and now it becomes like this now we're taking away the mens rea uh within the canadian legal system where we're talking about the guilty mind where it's like even if they weren't intending to choke somebody and they just on camera you can see them wrapping around in some way when shit hits the fan because once adrenaline dumps and you're fearing for your life it's like holy crap even for me as a black belt it's like i might just all of a sudden resort right to one of the techniques that i know very well that i use in sparring all the time yeah. that might be a choke for a second i'll be like holy crap i need to let that up for a second but now i have to be scared that if i resort to that i could even be criminally charged which then is going to make it more likely for me to probably just stand back and uh, obviously we always want to be verbally de-escalating but i might be more inclined to just cr start cranking out uh intermediary weapons where it's like i'd rather just be seen pepper spraying the guy or tasering the guy immediately rather than risking uh possibly applying a chokehold for a second which is safe but if you tell somebody that uh choking somebody for a moment is a great way of being able to sometimes de-escalate the situation yeah uh, ignorant people are not going to do that but i know in bouncing as long as I was also off camera, I rear naked choked the shit out of people sometimes. Yeah. I would sit them down on their butt because the takedowns I liked it was usually breaking somebody's legs down backwards and making them sit to their butt because even if we land hard, butt's yeah. a pretty nice cushion. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they bruise themselves a little bit. But then from there, I'm able to control them. I'm able to scan the room if I needed to just apply a little bit of pressure around their neck and make them kind of realize like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty screwed here. Then... I found guys would calm down at that point. I never choked people unconscious, but there's never a mark on them. I usually had guys thank me the next day because there would always be these regular uh, patrons that would come in Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and just get sloshed out of their minds. I hate alcohol and that whole uh, <laughs> system, but that's just how it worked. And I even had like one guy, I think, complain to the cops or to my boss about uh, me applying a choke once, but there wasn't a single mark on him. Yeah. And he was, uh, there was no damage to him. Yeah. But I, as a trained individual, I apply it quickly and methodically 
and I let go immediately. I don't hold it for nine minutes and 39 seconds or whatever. I can get was. into that too. It's, uh, I actually uh, am interested in your thoughts, like, yeah. uh, cause it's a very, like you brought it up. So I'm like, I, and the, and if anyone listening, they literally just announced the guilty verdict, like an hour ago, I missed out on an afternoon nap. Cause I'm like waiting for it. <laughs> and, uh, I I'm a bit appalled at guilty on all charges but uh from from let's let's talk about the like the video itself what was your assessment on it well so like i haven't watched the video for a bit but i was watching some of the court proceedings and i'm talking about where it's like you got this guy that however they ended up on the ground uh we had the victim george floyd that was handcuffed and he was compliant at that point yeah and yet the guy was still sitting with his shin and a bunch of weight into the back of his neck. And so I can't remember if they had talked about where it was like positional asphyxiation or how much actual of like the, the choke or strangulation was being applied by the shin. Like that stuff's not the part that's super important to me. But at that point, like I, I have no problem once again, within a moment, even though like I'm not allowed to at work and other uh, agencies are doing the same thing where it's like, if you're, knee is seen dropped on the back of somebody's spine at any point whether it's lower at the hips which is perfectly safe kind of just like knee on belly but somebody who's in a prone position upwards to the shoulders where yeah we are starting to actually put pressure on the the lungs and we're going to make it uh, more likely that they would positionally asphyxiate and then upwards to the neck which even if once again it choked them for a second or two it's safe enough but sitting there for right. minutes at a time is dumb now, the real problem was that he wasn't resisting anymore at that point. He was handcuffed. Get off the guy and just kneel beside him, and you can still control the rotation of his body. So, like, this is where, like, the biggest divide comes and where people, including law enforcement, couldn't stand beside him anymore, where it's like, I don't know what the takedown was like and what that was all uh, happening. It seemed pretty polite and cooperative at first when they were first talking to uh, the victim through, like, the window of his car and helping him out. Yeah. So I don't know how that had 20 minute video then. like the Yeah. Episode. So uh, it had escalated at some point and they took him down, but it's like, man, once you got the handcuffs on, like, and he wasn't responding or at one, uh, uh, fortunately he wasn't even moving because he was completely unconscious or dead at whatever point that occurred. And yet they still just sat there. Yeah. And I know like, once again, with adrenaline and you're worried about the public and stuff, like it's such a tough situation for law enforcement officers to make the right call in these moments, but nine minutes and 39 seconds or whatever the, the actual time was, it was just way too much that once the guy's handcuffed, they can't fight back very much at all anymore. Even them trying to get to a standing position, if you were to let go of them completely, really bloody difficult back off kneel beside them, still be able to control them with your arms, be able to hold on to the handcuffs to apply like a bit of torque in there, whether it's pain compliance or what. Um, you just did not have to be sitting there on the neck for so long. Yeah. Whether like, I'm not talking about like the intention of killing the guy, but unfortunately uh, he made wrong calls, which then did lead to yeah. the death of somebody. I mean, that seems to be the consensus. It's like, given the circumstances, he didn't need to be there on uh, for that long, but like, my story I always tell is, you know, I was at a party. This is way long ago. And uh, I was drinking because I'm just at a party. But the host's girlfriend, who must have been like 90 pounds, for some stupid ass reason, this was the night she decided to break her sober streak of years. 
And can, you can imagine how that went. Now, yeah. not my party, not my thing. And I'm like, I, I, I don't like to get involved in stuff unless I absolutely have to. Uh, one, because again, I'm a smaller guy and I don't like taking that risk if I don't need to. But it got to the point where after she stormed off, came back, started smashing bottles on people. I'm like, okay. And I somehow ended up... Uh, I like to pretend it was a graceful thing, but it probably was not. But I ended up with my knee, my shin on her neck, the side of the neck. Now, I, I never teach it on the back of the neck, but the carotid uh, with the shin. And I was on her for 20 minutes. So my argument is I was drunk. She's way lighter than me. What would happen is she'd start trying to swing. I press a little bit. She'd go out and she'd start snoring. So I'd lift up. And then she'd start swinging and I'd push down and she'd go out and wake up 20 minutes, no problem. And, and what I see is in the, in the George Floyd case was that he wasn't resisting at that point. So he probably should not have been on his back for that long. But this argument that the public and a lot of people are making that you, you're taking these tools away that are sometimes necessary is a little insane. Now, you and I will probably both agree that let's say jujitsu as a purple belt, you should have enough skill to realize this person should be tapping right now and they're not, right? And you let go. And, and, and you know, even though he was a police veteran, I just don't believe they get sufficient training to the point where he can really have the, that feel to be like, okay, this person's not responding. Even like, you know, the micro feelings you, you get like, oh, they should be tapping or why isn't he moving or saying anything? Um, now, I don't think he should have been charged with murder, manslaughter maybe, but murder and it's like, ugh. It's like, what do cops do nowadays? They're not getting the training. Um, there's a lot of hate and they're, they're in a lose-lose situation uh, no matter what. And I, and I see use of force experts railing on him outright. I'm like, listen, there's some nuance to this case. And if you're pretending it's only a racial issue or you're pretending that there's no nuance, I'm just like, we're not having meaningful conversations about use of force anymore. And, and everyone's just sort of like standing on their sides and it's like i don't know what to think about it anymore you know? yeah it's a, it's a tough situation and like i like i said even though i use the rear naked choke at work sometimes when i was bouncing i i never put somebody out and i would never apply that much pressure like if it was within the means in the sense that i had to protect myself then absolutely i would but I didn't see the need to do that. Uh, I can't speak for your situation like that, but like the more we start cutting off the blood to the brain repeatedly and stuff like that, then we could argue that there's going to be different levels of risk. And like, it seems unfortunately that some people, there's been more cases just in Brazilian jiu-jitsu of people experiencing strokes, whether or not that is completely linked to just strangulation where we are cutting blood off to the brain or there's other health complications yeah. in there. It's we can agree that it's not good to be cutting blood off to the brain uh, a whole bunch. So I would prefer to not put someone to sleep, but in the circumstances you might have to, but with uh, like that case, like I, I can't speak on it and say that it is definitely a race issue because once again, like as like we looked at the, the video at the beginning, it looked like they were trying to be quite polite mm -hmm with them instead of like what i would first see as like complete racist behavior from officers but definitely a lack of training yeah that as you talked about where it's like the people just don't know what the hell they're doing uh there could be like because i think it was with chauvin like he had a whole bunch of other complaints and other issues with him yeah. there so like i integrity as a person or like how he is as an officer like those possibly were already in question but yeah training for officers like usually with rcmp corrections at least here in like <laughs> bc 
every few years we get one day of training to kind of go over the force options that we had spent a week to several weeks doing at the very beginning before we got into the workforce. And, but now it's all going to be crunched into one day. We just quickly rip through these techniques that people have not practiced for years. And now we're just kind of putting like a bandaid on it being like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now you've gone through the techniques today. Uh, you're good. Now we can revisit this in three years. So you and I both know it's like, that's not how this fucking works. If I don't train something, for like a week in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, even if I'm training like other areas. So like, I'm still grappling. I'm still, I'm training my guard passing. I'm training my positional control and stuff like that. And then if it's been like a week or two and I haven't touched guard retention or meaningfully thought about it, then I might even notice myself. I'm like, all right, guard, guard retention has started to slip a little bit. I need to get back to that. And I need to try and bring that back up. And that's me constantly training and thinking about it, taking years off yeah, and not doing this stuff is crazy uh, oh it's crazy yeah. and then once again there becomes the argument of what is actual practical use of force techniques yeah. where training stuff like for me like the straight arm bar takedown or some of the wrist locks that we practice it's like it's can it be done yes is does it have a high probability of success no i don't think it's fundamentally sound either and the idea of having like say a small five foot two woman that weighs like 100 pounds yeah, to try and take down a large man which unfortunately uh men are usually the more violent offenders yeah. it's just not gonna work because yeah. like i've used the straight arm bar takedown on people that are drunk that are almost falling over themselves so that's not very <laughs> not a very good measurement for success and I've used it on women, unfortunately, where like they'll try and scratch a lot more or bite uh, when you tell them they have to leave the bar and then they tell you fuck off, they throw their drink at you and then it's like, okay, I'll grab their arm. And because I'm so much stronger, I'm even able to hold their arm extended further away from me yeah. where this is not technically good technique, but because of the physical advantage that I have, I'm able to keep myself safe and hold her out. And then if it escalated, I can even take her down somewhat more gently because I can just kind of slowly push her down to the ground so then the cops can take over but the times that i've tried to control a grown man by their arm it's just like oh my god they tense up and i'm just unable to make anything happen off of that and so yeah. once again letting go of the arms and moving into controlling more of like the hips the spine the head the legs and going into more traditional wrestling or judo takedowns yeah. was much more successful so like yeah there needs to be a revamping of what is actually taught and then also more frequency whether it's them spending money to make sure that people are actually training jiu-jitsu at other clubs regularly or getting more in-house training with brazilian jiu-jitsu or other stuff because like my boxing and muay thai experience from years ago has really helped me with feeling more confident avoiding punches and being able yeah. to close that distance because that's another part there's all these different ranges of fighting as i'm sure you've talked about in like other podcasts episodes so it's the idea of taking money away from the police which was like the first big thing where like people went as far as saying like defund the police Insane. i think that would cause more issues if anything we just need to yeah we need to look at actually how do we revamp the allocation of funds within policing yeah and possibly even throw more at it to be like these people are at the front lines and they're just not adequately trained and that's the main reason why we're seeing issues yeah. I mean, we're lucky in Canada, it's a, it's a little better, but I mean, as we discussed, it's not great. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes I wonder about like the policies too, not even use of force, because like, let's say, 
uh, barring a weapon being involved in a, in a roadside stop, usually police here just let them go. And they're like, we got our license, we got their thing. And they just knock on their door later versus it seems like the policy in the States, it's always like, it's go time now, you know? So I don't know what that's like, what's going on there, but it seems like that approach of the Canadians, is a, it reduces the violence. Unless they pull out a gun or a knife, then that's a different story, of course. Yeah, there's policy. And then there is just the legit problem of ego, where like that is usually what people freak out the most about. And we're like, uh, I never get sick of watching just like it, it's addicting to watch chaos and horrible things happen where you just watch like the police pullovers where uh, whether uh, regardless of the race or gender of the person that got pulled over, it's like you'll just see these cops just start to say the dumbest things or act so authoritarian and you're just like man there's just like there's a problem of ego here and while we can say that there's a training issue with that as well there's some people that's just like one maybe they shouldn't be cops or two like we got to have better check-ins or checks and balances to make sure that uh we can keep those people held in line or sift them out earlier or uh, like hard yeah it's tough because yeah when you put on the uniform it's like oh okay cool uh, like i feel like at an elevated status and i obviously you are granted more powers and so it's like you gotta have just like when you see that person that gets promoted to any other higher position regardless of the field you're in usually when people start to become bosses or in charge of other people we start to see them become shittier people and yeah. it's just like such a joke commonly that's like oh i hate my boss or i hate my boss for these reasons and it's like that's because people are just granted power and then ego starts to cloud judgment and make you feel like you're infallible. And there needs to be like better training and awareness to be like, Hey, we got to have these conversations that now that Becky has been promoted to the store manager of produce that we should also check in and make sure that you're not going to be like uh, power tripping off of this and making sure that you're still being held accountable to that. And then, well, in policing specifically, as they climb up the ladder, they often become more politicians than they do officers. So, and that's, to me, it's like, uh, how do you rectify that when you get to a certain point and it's in order to progress, you got to play these silly games that actually have nothing to do with the general health and well-being of the public. And it's like, uh, I wouldn't want to do it. Like if I was a cop in the States now, I'd be like, I'm out, I'm done. Well, we saw a higher rate of people retiring at that point. And some of those were probably really good officers. And then you're going to have other people that are like, if we're looking at the cream of the crop, the people that you want to have in these powerful positions, they're going to have other options too. Yeah. And so you have to have policing be enticing where it pays well and people respect you and stuff. Like we used to have this idea of police even say like 20 years ago, now, obviously, as a kid, I was just fantasizing about, like, maybe being a police officer one day, and it might not as, uh, I mean, they would have been more respected than they are right now, because police are definitely in shit on harder than ever right oh, now. Yeah. But uh, it's just like, why would I want to put myself through that when it's like, if I have a university education, or if I'm pretty smart, and I have options to go to other lines of work, those people are going to do that. And so then we end up just getting a lower level of candidate applying for policing whether it's in the states especially right now but it could also be the same in canada and so then you got shittier people being put in these positions which then as we talked about comes back around where it's like does the training really yeah is it going to make that much of a difference at this point because some of these people such aggression when even just uh, pulling somebody over for reaching traffic stop or like there's that uh the thing that was just kind of going on where they pulled over that guy that pulled over at the gas station that was uh, in the military. 
in the states oh, yeah. i haven't and, actually seen that video yet but it's an yeah and so that that's another interesting one where it's like you're watching how the cops are acting and it's like man like i don't know how much training would have like corrected that situation yeah. and it's like you did have this guy that pulled he kept driving i think for like another mile or something like that to get to a safe place to pull over once the cop had the lights on so now the cops are coming in in a more escalated state there because he wasn't following direction immediately yeah. but at the same time the guy was so polite and had his hands up the whole time and he's just asking some questions about what he did wrong and uh, the cops just continually kept on escalating yeah. and then pepper spraying him which he wasn't even like doing anything uh to escalate that level of force in the car and yeah there and some other things said from officers were like the guy said uh, i feel afraid to step out of the car right now and mm -hmm. then the cops like well you should be afraid and it's like oh, well okay that's not <laughs> going to get a uh, a level of compliance from the person that you're trying to apprehend right now so i mean it's always and it's something that we spend more time in in corrections as well as well as i'm imagining with all the other agencies is like we're continually coming back to talking about communication yeah. and getting better at that and trauma-informed practices and de-escalation tactics and spending this time where it's like i've exhausted all my options and that was something that i also felt very confident that when i'm using force on those guys where like i take them down at the bar or i walk them out or i have to uh, for whatever reason escalate the force i usually spent three to 10 minutes talking to the person trying to get them to walk out first because yeah. that's i gotta get them to pay their bill and like that's super important especially like they're in like a uh, in a business and then i some guys were at like the back of the bar and we have a capacity of 285 people and it's like i gotta try and walk this guy out through or fight with this guy out past all these people chairs and tables it doesn't matter that i'm a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu like this could go sideways really yeah. quickly and it has where i've been punched a whole bunch of times from people at all angles where i'm getting jumped essentially where it's like training against multiple people is like good fucking luck like yeah. if they run at you enough in a straight line you can take people out quickly theoretically it can work but man when it goes sideways it just becomes about survival that's and, my uh because we teach it a little bit but it's like yeah you're basically covering up and getting out and then i i look at it as you have two types of multi-attacker situations you have the sort of lazy like don't really know what they're doing guys and then you have the swarm mentality and i've seen people get swarmed and it's like you got a couple seconds to get out or you're fighting for your life yeah i just kept my head down i covered my face I, like trying to just protect my temple and chin so that i don't get knocked unconscious and drop to the ground because then i'd be getting stomped yeah. and fortunately because i had backup in the area because i had usually three three of us working at one time for security I just basically kept my head down. I was like, uh, Stathy and Jesse will get here shortly. I hope I'm just going to take a beating. And so the top of my head was bruised and covered with lumps the next day. I had some stitches I had to get from the initial sucker punch, but I stayed there and was able to just take a beating until backup arrived. And obviously if that's within a workforce, if you don't have backup, then man, like good luck yeah, to you. That's a huge issue. I have actually, I have big issues with the whole RCMP's policy of, one person per car now and i say it's to do with the escalation tactics but i'm like no it's because you're cheap and don't hire more officers <laughs> you know they're, they're yeah budgeting and all the politics yeah. behind that stuff also affects the job it was like uh what my one of my students who's taking crim was telling me it's because they did a study that said it means they're less likely to get aggressive and i'm like i completely understand that as in if you got your buddy standing right there you feel more comfortable doing it but at the same time i'm like you're actually putting everyone more at risk in my opinion it's like okay what if it goes sideways and they're by themselves 
Um, and if they do need to engage, having two people there is going to be easier to handle it than one. But of course, if none of them have good training, then it's going to be crap no matter what you do. So Yeah, it's difficult because like there, it's such an open area. So when you see even multiple cop cars pull up, let alone 20 sometimes, yeah. that can certainly escalate uh, a situation. Unfortunately, like saying corrections or when I worked at the hospital, or it's like we have rooms and hallways and stuff. So there'll be times where I'm dealing with a patient or an inmate that is starting to escalate and I can have my partner covering me, but he's behind the door out of view. Maybe he's going to be in there helping me talk because two people is usually fine, but I might have five people on the other side of the door waiting, just waiting in case something goes wrong. And so that helps me be able to have that conversation with the guy and know that if shit escalates further, I got backup. At the same time, this guy feels a little more comfortable because he's talking to just Rory and maybe somebody else and doesn't have like a whole bunch of people crowding around him and uh, wearing the gloves or even having the baton or the pepper spray yeah. out and stuff like that. Like there's, it, it's such a tough thing because you do have like this mixture of like it escalates, yeah. but similar for police, they're not going to have backups so nearby. And obviously there's the, uh, there's so many more variables where like in a jail setting, we have pretty good control over making sure that these guys don't have weapons and drugs. Yeah. Certain things happen, but they're not going to have a gun like yeah. that never happens. But when you do a routine pullover, <laughs> that guy might have a gun on him. And it's like, yeah. man, I couldn't imagine the, the constant stress of being in that hypervigilant state because every single pullover that you do could theoretically be the last one and you yeah. don't know anything about the like any inmate or patient that i would work with i know their entire history beforehand if i want to yeah. i probably already have a relationship developed with this guy but if i don't somebody else nearby probably does and like i said it's like odds are they're totally sober if they did get their hands on drugs or alcohol in some way it's going to be within a limited factor and then yeah there might be like some sort of shank kind of situation uh it's rare but still it could happen but something like a gun or I mean, Christ, you could be dealing with explosives as police officers. Like, uh, yeah, it's yeah. such a, there's so many issues and things that you have to be trained for and you get trained yeah. so little. And then the public shits on you. It's a miracle that anybody wants to be a cop right now. Yeah. I like, I don't think that's fair of the public to be like, you must know their entire medical history. It's like, it's not, I don't believe it's a responsibility of a police officer to take into account that they have medical conditions that you could not possibly know about unless they have like a medical alert bracelet or they're on crutches or something. But that seems to be the public standard that these cops must know because of this, why you should know he has a heart disease issue. And it's like, no, I shouldn't like they're being aggressive. And that's what I'm working off of. Uh, if I was to be. A cop. Yeah. Unless they straight up tell you it. And if it's something that you can kind of try and factor in great. Uh, I know there's some people saying like, Hey, if you take down, uh, a patient or a suspect and they start yelling that they can't breathe you're you should have to let go of them and back away and it's like well no that's a that's a problem too because now people that don't have the issue will also say that just to know that you have to back away i can reasonably stay next to this person take weight off of their chest or however we're positioned from side control or mount or whatnot if i'm trained i know how i can lift myself off to be able to give them the room to be able to get air yeah. and then if we're dealing with something with like like a uh, claustrophobia or whatnot where the person is still going to be panicking anyway we're gonna have to work with that and unfortunately sometimes uh they're gonna have to be in an uncomfortable situation that is scary for a bit as and if the officers are properly trained and have empathy and stuff like that hopefully they can work with the patient or the suspect that they're apprehending through that because i think it's definitely 
uh, as we talked about with communication, it's important for the officers to understand uh, a bit more about like the, the mental health and the different things that could be happening to that person and being able to talk them through. It's like getting pepper sprayed yourself in training. So that then it's like, okay, I have an understanding of how this feels. And so when I have confidence in the tech in this uh, weapon, when I use it, but at the same time, if I pepper spray somebody, I'm going to hopefully be able to talk them through it. I'll be able to kind of recite some of the symptoms that they're feeling at that time and help them calm down a bit if they're starting to freak out. And so the same thing. And I'll just be like, let's go motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Versus. Yeah. Where you see it. It's like, once you start to escalate that force and the adrenaline starts going and uh, uh, everything starts to go to hell real quick people yeah. can have more fun with that than they really should be the egos the authority I mean, with behind pepper, that uh peppers but like i've you know the military military grade here yep. which to me is like as long as you don't deep inhale i'm like I can- man i inhaled some tear gas last month and yeah. it was awful Brutal. like that was such a sharp sensation of everything burning and seizing yeah. up where i was like i'm gonna die and i had to like roll out of the smoke I where like pepper know. spray was like really uncomfortable it was just like having the hottest wings being rubbed yeah. on your face and it's like it's just constant and last longer but yeah. like the tear gas for like five seconds i was like holy shit and then you roll out of it and then you're fine yeah it doesn't last uh you so it's deep interesting in to see those yeah well i, I had my mask on yeah. but i had my bangs over underneath the mask because i'm an idiot so i'm sitting over top of this tear gas uh deploying and just breathing just to test my mask out and the damn thing came all through my eyes and was burning my skin and then i took a big breath and uh yeah it was a it was a cool experience to at least like feel what that's like because once again i'll know what somebody might be going through if we ever had to use that short quick breaths keep your eyes open just like yeah so you get the oxygen but you don't you don't really like get it in your lungs yeah now i just need to get tased i haven't got tased yet i want to see what that's like I've never been tased. I don't really want to. I've heard just like, I don't know anybody who's like, let's do that again, except maybe the jackass guys. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to do it again. But it's, I, I want to experience it at least once yeah. to say that I did. And I am still young and dumb enough that part of me is like, yeah, oh, that'd be kind of a fun story to yeah. see. And I know people that are like, I would rather get tasered again than get fully pepper sprayed again. Really? So, I don't I don't know about that. It's pepper like- spray fucked me up. I did it I, for like an hour. I struggled and then I finally got my face and eyes cleared out, but I had some of my hair. So then after the day of training, I went home and I showered and then I washed it back into my eyes and I'm just <laughs> screaming in the shower. And my roommate at the time, is just like, what's going on? And it's like, yeah. Oh, it's pepper spray. Yeah. My so it's just like the last thing. Uh, it was actually, I got, unfortunately, you know, teenager, you make friends with the wrong people, things go sideways. And I got bear maced like pretty, pretty close. And that was my first experience, but that's where I learned like, oh, you can fight through that because they, they are actually on my house property and I was pissed. And uh, I don't want to get into the details, but my parents were around and uh, I got bear mace. I basically sprinted right after them. And I'm like, I don't understand, like, because I couldn't see properly, but I I can't imagine someone being able to run that fast where they just bear yeah. mace someone. And I'm just with rage sprinting after these people and they were gone. They must have had like a getaway car and they're like, oh, shit, this guy's crazy. Yeah, it definitely doesn't <laughs> knock you down like uh, something like, say, tear gas or a taser would like because we did the you get a little bit of uh, the pepper spray and then we still did like some pad work with the batons when oh, we were yeah. hitting pads. So it's like you're forced to look and you can yeah. still see the target. and You got to fight through it. Yeah. Uh, I know cops do a similar thing where they get pepper sprayed and then they have to do certain like obstacles and shit like that so it's like it won't knock you down it's certainly like 
will put you at a disadvantage, but and I know some guys that can eat that stuff like oh yeah problem. Yeah, yeah. Now I wanted to go back because we were talking about like sort of de-escalation tactics. Now me, uh I find that the hardest thing to do, and it's like you know, I have my my personal issues and quirks that make it harder for me. But it's like uh if it's already hard enough for police or security or anyone to learn the actual physical use of force which you need to practice it's the same for the de-escalation and and while you certainly like with de-escalation and and speaking it's like it's a part of it that it's actually harder to train for a lot of people because you know you meet these guys that are just got the gift of gab and they can talk anyone down in their voice tone because you got to think about that's me this like i'm horrible at that i have a tendency to constantly aggravate i can talk forever (laughs) and i i can be the guy for the investigations as well as de-escalation um it's a skill and it's it's another skill and that's the thing so then it becomes one what is the techniques being taught because there's a lot of crappy communication training going on where it's very vague and it's like, Hey, you want to like, there's some good tips where it's like, you want to lower your, uh, your voice. You're not trying to match their volume. If they're escalating, you want to have that grounding point for them to come back to talk more slowly, talk about eye contact, talking about not having threatening body language where it's like, Hey man, I want you to <laughs> calm down. You got your fists up the whole time where it's like, okay, well that's not congruent to what you're trying to say. Don't tell then, them to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't say stop or calm down. So it's like, that's usually about as far as it goes. And it's like, and then you're just like, and now deescalate. And it's like, okay, that's not Too just late. like if we were, if, if we're teaching a self-defense like uh, technique and it's like, Hey, here's the guard and you want to pass the guard. And I give you some vague principles and then I just say, now pass it. Well, I was like, no, we need to show you some actual techniques to that. And there's actual techniques within de-escalation where we can talk about like uh, how to build rapport effectively, mirroring, uh, how to ask uh, better questions, like open-ended questions and closed-ended questions for specific yeah. things that you're wanting to. Uh, I mean, there's certain books like I read like, uh, uh, like on learning how to negotiate and stuff like that, where it's like just there's such tactics to it where it can almost be seen as a little bit of like manipulation within a conversation that's like this stuff is still the things that you need to be able to do because it you are playing to the psychology of the person that you're dealing with and you want them to uh feel like they are safe and secure you want to feel like they have a little bit of input within the conversation and the outcome even if you already know what that outcome is you want to help kind of guide them towards that um and yeah, so there's different techniques with that. And then at the same time, just like we were talking about with sparring, I love doing like the role play scenarios where it's like, hey, Rory, here's a card, read it. And it's just like, hey, I'm going to pretend to be an inmate in this situation. And my job is just to be a dick and I'm just going to act up. And then Jonathan, the other officer has to come over and he's going to start, hey, Rory, what's going on? And I'm going to be like, well, fucking, I haven't seen my family all fucking year or whatever. And I'm starting to freak out. And I'll just start acting up and I'm going to try and just funnel. I'm going to try and pigeonhole this officer and make him have a hard time or even give up. Yeah. And so he's got to try and deescalate. He's got to try and be calm. He's got to watch his distance with me if I start freaking out. And he's got to use techniques and kind of limit my responses. And there's going to be things that he might fuck up and say that gives me something to bite onto where it's like, what did you just say? And I'll be able to have fun with it and escalate even further. But if the officer does a really good job, I might just kind of keep treading circles and be like, fuck, I can't, he's not giving me anything to work with. It's kind of like improv where it's like, they're purposely cutting me off so that I can't even for fun where it's like, I am literally just, my only job here is to be a dick. 
and try to make Jonathan's life more difficult. And he's still doing a good job being able to de-escalate me. So then when you go up against somebody who's not trained and not thinking about it in that sense, because usually we're looking at someone who's emotionally uh, compromised in some way, it can be even easier to control them in the sense that they're not going to be logically trying to be uh, defending themselves, but it can obviously be more difficult in the sense that now we are looking at actual risk. And so it becomes just training. Uh, And that was something we did at the hospital too, which is really cool is that we opened up the new emergency department years ago and we were just pretending to be patients being brought in with different mental health or physical needs. So we're going up to triage and the ladies there are trying to triage us properly and then we're finding out the escort routes of which how do we bring someone from triage all the way down the hall to psychiatric emergency services or psychiatric intensive care where some people then we need to bring over to the orange and blue areas for different levels of medical triage for physical injuries and then looking at how we actually sometimes would like bottleneck ourselves and end up like moving two patients at the same time for different things and crossing paths and crashing into each other. So we're doing this role playing where all the different staff members are getting to work on de-escalation and conversation skills. And then we're also testing out just the environment itself and learning how we're going to move this uh, around effectively without crashing into each other and making each other's lives harder. So it's like, there's all these different areas, like the environment plays such a big role too, but the communication part we have to actually talk about different techniques and then actually drill those techniques by doing more like role-playing scenarios, stuff yeah. like that. It's actually good. Like it's really good. One part problem with that training a lot of the time is when you have a room full of people who can't act and don't like to, and then it's like, ah, oh, come on guys. Like let's, <sighs> that too. let's do yeah. it. <laughs> I know there is, has to be like a certain part where it's just like, Hey, we're going to be kids again and use our imagination. Yeah. And we're not supposed to be like, it's ego that it's really just ego that gets in the way where people feel like they're going to embarrass themselves. They're not going to have certain acting chops where it's like, I don't have any acting chops. I don't have any training with this, but I'm just going to try and be a jackass. I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to, I'm going to use swear words and insults that I can't use professionally at work, but because I'm now playing that role, I get to now call this officer a cunt (laughs) because I know that that might cause a reaction from her because we also we will talk we'll write down a list of the things that uh are our pet peeves and stuff like that so then people will know that it's like hey certain swear words are being uh uh judged for looking too young as an officer which was like something for me being like 22 when i started in corrections it's like that kind of stuff where then it's like now the person that's playing can have this thing and be like oh rory doesn't like uh people commenting on how youthful he looks and that he's probably inexperienced and doesn't know how to fucking do the job Mm -hmm. so then they can throw that at me so then i'm i have to react and not will not let that uh not react to it and not let it affect me and continue doing it so then when inevitably i'm in front of inmates uh and they do something like that to me i'm going to be already prepared for that yeah and we gotta have fun with it and yeah unfortunately they can make us do it like uh, when we're first hired because obviously we're uh uh, we're first hired and we're a little more go-getters at that point and we want to impress people because we need to pass the training in order to actually be hired but yeah it's harder to get officers in any agency like so not just police or corrections or uh i'm sure like could be similar in military military seems like the, you, you guys have your shit way more together when it comes to training and the importance of that well that but, depends i was in a different military so. yeah so uh <laughs> 
people that have been in the job longer are going to be more resistant to this stuff where it's like, Oh, I don't, I'm not interested in joining Rory and trying to do some Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, or you guys are going to do some role playing on the free on spare time to work on training. It's like, no, I don't need to do that. I've already been doing this 20 years and I haven't killed anybody. So I guess I'm doing the job well enough. And there becomes like these standards where it's like, okay, it, you are arguably being successful at your job. You've done this for 20 years and you're probably still pretty good at it, but there's always the idea that there is constant growth and i think martial artists do it i think people in any kind of line of work do it or whatever their hobby is where we reach certain levels of satisfaction and even if it's arguably mediocrity we'll just be like uh eh, it's it's good enough i don't need to work on this any longer it's like no i just like in uh, martial artists are better at it than others i think where it's like when we're looking at brazilian jiu-jitsu it's like i'm going to constantly be refining these skills that i'm working on and it's never good enough because yeah. when I say that it's good enough, somebody will immediately punish me for that. And that's the great thing about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and sparring yeah. in any martial art, like boxing or Muay Thai or wrestling. You white belt who comes in and you're just like trying to have a lazy day. Yeah, like oh, you get punished. High school so like if you don't work on something well enough, somebody will punish you for it. And you get that consequence immediately where you go, holy shit. I need to, I need to go back and I need to revisit that. I just got hit with that submission. I now need to revisit my defense where uh, for police, they could be average at all these different things and still manage to go years on the job and be fine. But then they run into that one yeah. situation that's more of extreme and they're not ready for it. And then we see horrible outcomes where either officers are not ready and they get fucked up or even die, or the officer reacts too hard and then the suspect gets horribly hurt and dies. And you know, I think that's actually probably a good business plan is you put together a team of martial artists who understand use of force and then come in as actors to work with people. Now, obviously getting contracts with the forces is impossible here, but yeah. uh, I think, you know, they need to, it needs to be mandatory. Like, I know you have to do it. I don't care. Cause like they, you know, that's the thing that, you know, the mod, modern founder of Krav Maga was like, why he, he basically did it because the Nazis were picking on the Jews and he needed to train everyone. But it's like when he was older, they asked him what's it for. And he's like, Oh, so one may walk in peace. And it's like, you should, you hope like most masters who aren't psychos will be like, I hope I never have to use it, but if I do, I can do it quite well. Right. And, and I think the attitude of, of a police officer who's just, I want to avoid, I want to avoid, Oh, I've never had that problem. It's fine. It's like, no, you're delusional. And, and uh, often when it comes to pure self-defense and, I hate the ad. Like it drives me nuts. This woke nonsense where it's like, well, they shouldn't have attacked you. And I'm like, you're right, but it doesn't matter. They're attacking you, right? And you didn't put any time to learn to defend yourself. Now what? Oh, yeah. I can just do this. It's like, do you, how aggressive are they being? I don't think you can do that. Like, and it just the delusions that people have about. Yeah, the opinion of the public is usually dog shit. Yeah. Uh, with this stuff, where it'd be like, oh, you shouldn't have shot the person there. And it's like, uh, you had a guy running at an officer with a knife yeah. repeatedly, and you had the officer backing up and giving clear, concise direction. You had the officer already with the gun pulled out. So any reasonable person could look at that and go, if I keep charging at this officer with a gun drawn at me, I'm going to get shot. And we could make arguments of mental health and uh, make arguments of being under some like having uh, being intoxicated by drugs. And unfortunately that sucks. Yeah. Like at, at some of the guys that have gotten shot recently, it's like everyone will jump on uh, whether it was racism or excessive force. And it's just like one person has to go down in that circumstance. And I wish that that the, the suspect that got shot 
was not on drugs. I wish that they were more mentally stable. I wish that so many more things positively happened in their lives that could have changed the course of their life for the better. But in that situation, you had an officer who was just trying to do their job and do it well at first yeah. uh, in the sense that they're trying to communicate and de-escalate. And then within a split second, the communication has to stop because the guy's running at him with a knife. And it's like, who you can't tell me that the officer is supposed to risk their life and look one take on the knife with just their hands. Cause like some t- people will have the opinion, like everyone's John wick where it's like, no, the guy's coming at you with a knife. You disarm it. It's like, I am never ever taking on the knife because yeah. I have trained that stuff. And I've decided to not even bother training it because it's such diminishing returns that it's like, I could train this shit for 20 years and I could train it at a high level intensity where we're actually using like a high voltage knife and they're really trying to come at me. And then I might still just fuck it up. And in one split second, I'm dead. Yeah. In the real life. Like different. you can't train this stuff. Sure. It's yeah. so difficult. Yeah. The night uh, I was going to say, it's a very North American thing about like, Oh, why'd you shoot? I'm serious. You go to any other place in the world. They'll be like, Oh, they were charging at the officer with a knife yeah. and they shot him like Israel. Like I tell people like though Kramaga heavily focuses on knife self-defense. Um, it, the reality is in Israel, you charge anyone with a knife, you're getting shot and nobody bats an eye about it there. It's like, well, you shouldn't have charged him with the knife. Uh, same in Europe, you know, South America, yeah. like everywhere. It's a very North American thing. Now it's a valid point you bring up with the knife stuff. And I, I always find myself reminding people that uh, trained martial artists have a tendency to be like, oh, I'll just stab you. And you probably will. You know, um, when you look at YouTube, like crimes of passions with knives or like uh, decisions in the moment to attack are usually those big movements. So the way I break it down is we have uh, committed and non-committed attacks and then circular outside in and straight line. And you'll actually find, look at like YouTube, you see people that lunging and, and, and that's what we're trying to teach you for is that initial moment of mm-hmm. panic. And then you either can get a hold of that weapon arm or you can't. And if you can't, create space, run. If you couldn't already run. Uh, and if you can get a hold of that weapon arm, the psychology kicks in of, uh, at least for a few seconds, they want, they want to get that weapon back. And that's where you, you have room to operate. And of course, you get the guys who come in with John Wick. Oh, I'm stabbing you every time. It's like, well, yeah, if you're going in with the intent kill every single time then yeah you just go psycho blender and stab the shit out of people and there's not much you can yeah do. the martial arts community is getting better at in the sense of always recommending run because like if yeah. like for me when it comes to like a weapon it's like one run every time yeah. uh two give them hopefully whatever they want if it is something like a robbery uh there's gonna be a lot of times where guys are just making empty threats and they're not actually even going to use the knife i've talked to lots of inmates where they're just like yeah. oh yeah i got like these armed robberies and it's like i would never have done anything with that it is an empty threat but i mean obviously there are real threats yeah and so then it's like for me it's like i'm always scanning the environment in the sense where it's like if someone has a weapon i'm grabbing the chair next to me like i'm gonna fight back with another weapon before yeah. i try and fight back barehanded because jesus christ and yeah. then there might even be the times where uh, i was there was a couple months ago there was a guy posting in like one of the big facebook groups that guys that train jujitsu and he's a police officer and was doing weapon retention and pulling a gun and like a guy was chasing at him with uh, a knife his training partner and he chose to fall onto his back and pull guard so that he could utilize his legs as frames to manage the distance so he could quickly draw the gun and shoot the guy and he was finding that that was the only way in that circumstance that he could actually maintain a bit of a safe distance for a moment to be able to pull out the gun and be able to fight 
uh, versus like when you're standing, one, holding onto the gun can be more difficult, but two, your upper body is much closer and it's going to be easier for you to get stabbed. So, I mean, like obviously you train more knife defense yeah. uh, to proper uh, to properly take on some of those swings. But then for me, because of my training, in certain circumstances, and I'm not recommending it like it's like a flat line because that's just, uh, or the universal approach because that's another thing that people are bad at when it comes to self-defense. There's no one answer for anything. There'll be times where I know that because of my jujitsu experience, it's going to be safer for me to fall to my back if I had another weapon to be able to fight with or to be able to yeah. buy time until backup could arrive. Yeah. That's obviously not going to be a great idea self-defense wise because now I'm not mobile at all and I can't run from the situation. Well, but... It isn't like, uh, so I teach falling to the back to shoot, but as a you've lost your footing, you were about to hit it, like something's gone wrong. So you teach them that you can fall with your gun drawn and you'll be fine. But yep. if you're stuck there and screw up, it's a mess. And that's where it turns into some nasty. There's no good answer for the most part. When someone's running at you with a knife, it's like, I would love to be able to say that like that guy's going to take a swing and you're going to do this big Aikido takedown. Mm -hmm. He's going to land on his back and you're going to tie him up nicely. And it's like, it's so, it's going to be such an ugly fight. And the problem with the knife is that thing, if it hits you at all, it's going to, like you're going to get cut. So you got to yeah. minimize where you're getting cut. And uh, that's a big thing where like yeah. I teach that. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to get cut or not. I have no idea. But what matters is where like yeah. cutting a femoral. People always forget about it. I'm yep. like, you get stabbed there. You're fucked. Don't and take it in the neck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basic spots where it's like you got to keep them yeah. away from you. And so then it's that's people hands up, like protect your vitals immediately. And that takes a while to get people because the worst case scenario, you get cut up, you get stitches and you're alive. Right. Yeah. So that's where, like, if we're talking about workforce, you might not be able to avoid those situations. And so then it becomes down to that training aspect again, where it's like, how do we allocate time to all this stuff? So that's where, like, for me as an officer, I would rather spend the majority of my time working on the communication aspect, working on my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu skills to be able to control the majority of the guys that I'm going to work with because weapons are still not something that we would deal with very often. Yeah. And then when there are weapons, looking at, well, how do we start to use like the weapons that we have available to us, intermediary weapons like a baton or pepper spray, or as an office, as a police officer, looking at, unfortunately, like using the gun and working on your firearm skills there. Because to me, I'm like, because once we start taking all that, and then if I start to go, well, you know what, actually, I want to bridge the gap a little bit. And I want to work on my knife defense and taking on other like blunt weapons. Yeah, then it's like now I'm pulling away from the other resources. And once again, I think there's still a diminishing returns where it's like, it's just not worth it to me where I would rather spend the time avoiding that conflict yeah. or just unfortunately, if it had to happen, ending it, whether it was with lethal force or less than lethal means, hopefully to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and then when we're looking at basic self-defense for most people, when they're coming to jujitsu to try and wanting to do some self-defense, it's like, okay, that's cool. And it's a great reason to get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You're not going to stay for just that reason, training out of fear. You'll probably learn to just love the martial art and you'll train and self-defense will be a, uh, a consequence of that in the sense that like you have the ability to defend yourself. But for me, it's like, okay, you, you want to, uh, uh for self-defense and you want to avoid fights. One, don't fucking drink alcohol and don't hang out with people that drink alcohol or do drugs. Bad that's going yeah. to avoid like all 90% of all the altercations you would ever deal with. And then don't walk around at nighttime down dark alleys. And like, How obviously say such a thing. Yeah. So like, <laughs> Uh, women, unfortunately, are going to be more likely to be attacked in the sense by people that they know or uh, for other reasons, because they're just like easier targets from a physicality standpoint, but especially men. It's like, 
we're fucking idiots for the most part. And it's like, you got to learn how to control your emotions. You got to learn how to communicate. You need to stop drinking and you need to stop hanging out with people that drink. Cause it's like the fights at bars were just all the time. And it's people are like, Oh, you work at a jail. That's so fucked up. And it's like, actually you take all these guys that are kind of considered the scum of the earth and you take away drugs, you take away alcohol and you force them in this environment. And they're actually really decent people to talk to they have their quirks and they have their deficiencies and when they're out and they're in that environment where they're able to do drugs and do harder drugs they're obviously just off the rails but the jail i feel quite safe at where at the the, at the bar you'd have these functioning members of society that contribute to the community but they're coming in off their jobs and they're drinking their faces off and they become so arrogant they become selfish they become violent uh you got men uh sexually assaulting women you've got men beating the shit out of each other you got women beating the shit out of men and it's just become such a mess where the violence that i would deal with at the bar was way more extreme than at the jail and it's like oh yeah it's it's alcohol it's like the main factor here so like uh when it comes to self-defense like it's it's important but a lot of different lifestyle changes to me is like the thing like i've never been in a fight outside of work now I'm a six foot five, 185 pound white male. So it's like, there's, I got certain privileges, I guess, if you want to call it that in you the sense that it's like, I'm putting it out there. Yeah, people are not <laughs> going to be approaching me as like an easy target. Yeah. But, uh, as opposed to a six foot five black guy, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, yeah, me, as a five foot six guy, like I, if you're taller than me, I'm like, I'd rather not. I mean, I, on on average, I could probably mess them up. But yeah, I, so there's going to be certain factors, like uh, unfortunately, somebody of like a a different race where they might be a, a target of racism, yeah. or like I said, women when it comes to like sexual advances from men that are uh, or sexual assaults and actual attacks, like. I, I'm not going to tell people that it's like you can avoid fights at all, like by any means, there's still a chance. But for so many people, it's like you could change your lifestyle and not ever and have a way less likely of a chance of being needed, needing some sort of self-defense techniques. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get a student who's like, oh, yeah, I got in a fight again. I'm like, OK, whoa, again. And you have to have yeah. a conversation. It's like, OK, you got to look like, inward. What are you doing? Like I had I had a student for a bit uh, and you know, he was telling me this story once uh, he worked in the movie industry about how he, some guy stole some stuff and he chased him down and then the blah, 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 and then the pimp got involved. I don't know. And, but the, his version of the story versus the version of the story I heard from a friend of ours who told me what he actually said. I'm like, okay, yeah, completely avoidable. You making like, it's not your property. It's your word. Like who cares? Like, and it was just like, obviously this person's just continually making bad decisions about when they get in fights. And it's just like, uh, yeah, some, of, some of my friends would get mad at me, like in our early twenties. Cause like we'd be out at the bar and then a fight breaks out because like, so like the one example, we ran into a couple guys from like the rival city next to us, Parksville Qualicum. And then they, they started shit talking us. So then my friends, of course, just start escalating and matching it back. And it's like, well, can we just be the bigger men and walk away from this? That would have solved everything. But instead, they chose to escalate. And that's usually yeah. what ends up happening from a communication standpoint and a breakdown is that people and their egos get in the way and they're just like, oh, yeah, you're going to insult me. I'm going to throw insults back at you. And it starts to escalate. 
I'm in the middle trying to calm this thing down. Even as a drunk, I would always try and calm the situation down. And then they're still escalating from it. And then it starts into a fight. So then at that point, my job to me is just make sure my friends don't get hurt. I honestly don't really care if they win or lose. Like I want them to win because I'm still like, they're my bros, but I I just want to make sure that they don't get hurt. So it's like, there was three of them and three of us. I just tie up the third guy while my two friends fight and beat the crap out of the two other guys. Uh, And then when the other guy tries to get in there, I let him go because I can see that my friend has already taken care of one of the guys pretty decently. And then, my, and then my friend beats up the other guy. And then they're like, why didn't you take that guy out? And it's like, I didn't want this fight. Yeah, It's not my job to get in there. And like, if you get attacked, if we got just attacked and it was a self-defense thing, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to brawl. But in, in this circumstance, I tried to deescalate and they chose to still engage it. So it's like, it's your mess. Yeah. Clean that shit up. Fortunately, my friends were pretty decent at being able to clean that stuff up. Yeah. But it's like, man, this is where like men, especially women are guilty of it too, where there's just this ego where they just keep escalating, throwing the insults back until it eventually turns into a physical altercation. It's like, yeah. that's what we need to get better at. And we need to actually learn more, whether we're spending time in school, actually learning about this stuff rather than unimportant information that we learn throughout uh, middle school and high school. Yeah. Learning how to be better people and how to actually have proper conversations with financial each other. literacy. Is in, in, too, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> um, no, it's it's uh, it seems to be considered like I obviously avoid situations where I think there's going to be fights, but the occasional that there has, I don't jump in unless I feel someone's going to go to the hospital or there's going to be a mm-hmm. threat. To, yeah, because I'm just I've like, watched some of my friends get like beat up a bunch standing, and it's just like as soon as it goes to the ground, it can go to that next level where someone's getting stomped or something. It's like I'm breaking it up like a ref. But it's like if uh, if my friend started this fight and wanted to have that fight and he got lit up standing a bunch and his nose is bleeding and he's got a black guy, I just look at him and be like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Yeah, I stepped in to protect you to make sure you didn't like die or get seriously hurt. But it's like, I'm going to, you want that fight? You're going to get a little bit of a licking standing. That's yeah. that's on you, man. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of things we can talk about. I, I do I do want to go to like sort of the small, like the woman teaching women self-defense or that kind of stuff. Cause I tend, I do get a little annoyed. Like I'm, I'm not like a black belt obviously, but I, I get annoyed at jujitsu a lot when I see jujitsu practitioners teaching self-defense to women or teaching it to men even or police. And I'm just like, what are you fucking doing? Like, let's take a, a triangle, for example. It's a great technique, but how long does it take for someone to get proficient at it to use it in meaningful violent confrontation like a hundred pound girl versus a 200 pound guy i struggle putting triangles on guys that big and it's like i just it drives me nuts it's like yes it's an amazing technique high percentage in professional fighting uh mike hansen gets me it all in the fucking time because he's so good at them um but it's like if i have a seminar for self-defense and you're starting with hey here's a triangle it's gonna work it's like Probably not. If they're like 200 pounds trying to rape you, I, I just don't see it unless you've been doing it for five, 10 years. And yeah, you got it. You got a good shot. I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I put my, I put my friend in a triangle once when I was just like drunk grappling at like my friend's place. Uh, and he bit the inside of my thigh as I was slowly putting it on. And I had such big bruises and I had to let go of it. Now, obviously if you do a triangle really well, they're not going to be able to bite you, but it's, there's these different risks with certain things like arm bars and triangles where it's like, like you said, it takes a lot in the same way. I hate when somebody on their first day of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu learns how to do an arm bar from closed guard. It's like, it's just not realistic. They're not yeah. going to be able to replicate it. And the fact of them trying to replicate it could actually hurt people more 
uh, as training partners. So uh, Rob and I teach women's self-defense seminars once in a while. And the first thing we always kind of just say at the beginning is like, listen, you ladies are probably not going to be much better at defending yourselves by the end of this. No. We're going to give you some ideas. We're going to give you some ideas of communication, how to properly distance yourself, assess the environment. We're going to give you some basic understanding of how to strike. And like, we're talking just like some basic, like jab kind of cross to have an understanding of how that could work. Uh, some different wrist grab, like disengagements breaks. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you'll learn that, but you have to keep practicing it. Cause if you don't, it's not going to yeah. fucking work. So don't think that you can come in for this two hour class and you're going to be able to be like bulletproof out there and stop any kind of attacks. It's like, this is an understanding to hopefully show you how like a little step into how deep this rabbit hole can go and to put the onus on you that you need to actually train this stuff regularly if you want to train self-defense and like you don't need a lot to be competent enough uh to be able to defend yourself obviously when we're talking about physical advantages like a smaller woman is going to have to be better technically than say six foot five or crazier uh but there's just a reality like and it's sold a lot in jujitsu falsely where size doesn't matter and it's yeah. like okay that's an important principle and there are there's a lot of like a lot of detail behind that that we could break down about how it is kind of the case in some ways and how we can try and uh minimize the the gap of physicality but there's a reason why there's weight classes in boxing and mixed martial arts and jujitsu is because if you got equally trained people the bigger person will Jake just bulldoze the other person <laughs> yeah so uh, it's one of those things that it's like there's a lot of training that's where like i tell people it's like hey you want to train for self-defense that's great yeah we're gonna train jiu-jitsu we're like honestly for like regular brazilian jiu-jitsu for like how rob and i teach we won't get into takedowns at first because takedowns are more dangerous because you have that uh the loss of control of each other's center of gravity and the momentum as we talked about two full-grown men going to the ground or uh, women there's more chance of being injured so i need to show you how to first be comfortable with your body learn how to control your body and control your opponent's body on the ground then we'll start working on how to actually take them down there with takedowns but also working on how to do proper break falls and stuff so you guys are less likely to injure yourself so then there becomes this like well how long is it going to take me to be street ready and it's Can like, you? I don't know, it's going to take time because you're going to first learn a bunch of stuff on the ground and then we'll show you how to actually take somebody down and you'll still suck ass at that stuff. And we're not even doing this within a self-defense realm. And like, so uh, you can have the ability to actually be like in this clinch closer in fighting range. And then you might be more comfortable on the ground. But when we're looking at like the distance out fighting range with strikes, you could have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt that just gets lit up with the first punch that comes. Yeah at them because they're not training that stuff so it's like well, then we need to actually start to talk about that and you either need to supplement your training with like boxing muay thai kickboxing uh or other martial arts but those are the ones that i recommend the most or we need to actually have self-defense orientated classes where we talk about closing that distance and doing that properly because that's where you're uh, i think you've also kind of referenced or hinted to where it's like when we talk about brazilian jiu-jitsu we have very sport orientated brazilian jiu-jitsu which i think a lot of it, if done well, is still going to be super applicable to self-defense yeah. and like the super fancy stuff like Baron Bolos and rolling back attacks and stuff like that. It's like that. They're, no one's going to do that in a self-defense situation and no one argues that they would do that in a self-defense situation. But looking at then self-defense, how we close that, but still have a sport-orientated perspective to it because honestly, 
like whenever I I've trained with a lot of people and the people that are more focused on competition and sport are much better at jujitsu and every, almost every single person I've trained with, that's like, Oh, I do Brazilian jujitsu for self-defense and I don't do that sports stuff. I do the self-defense stuff. They're dog shit at Brazilian jujitsu. And it's just because now they're, they're training certain shittier techniques that don't have uh, that would say, we're not seeing in competitions. We're not seeing it through that filtration process of what legitimately works against high level practitioners. We're now theoretically talking about what works on the shittiest opponents possible. That drunk guy that throws that haymaker when someone drunkenly grabs your shirt and isn't really doing anything off of that. Or when someone's got like some super shitty mount on you. And so you're training these techniques to beat the lowest common denominator rather than trying to beat black belts. And if you train to beat black belts or if you train to beat high level boxers, then you've covered your ass for everything underneath that, which is who you're more likely going to be dealing with. And so, man, like, yeah, self-defense, like there's a, a, I don't think that there's too much of a gap between proper sport jujitsu and self-defense jujitsu as some people like to say there is. But there's just there's shitty sports jujitsu, which is bad for self-defense. And you got really shitty self-defense jujitsu that's terrible for self-defense as yeah. well as terrible for sport jujitsu. Yeah. Well, my my approach, like I do cover grappling in my curriculum for Krav, but I'm covering so much that I tell everyone, if you want a black belt from me in Krav, you need to go get a blue belt or equivalent in jujitsu or five years of it. Like you gotta put in the grappling because you know, when you have people like it was a problem in the crowd community for a long time is the grappling was shit because it's stand up heavy, like, oh, we're never going to go to the ground. And, you know, I, I was an earlier adopter. I've noticed uh, slowly a lot of them are starting to do more grappling or some of the uh, organizations with a bit better grappling backgrounds are starting to take off because they're realizing like for law enforcement and military, it's actually really necessary. And, yep. and then when strikes are not available, it's really necessary. Um so like when I'm teaching ground stuff for Krav, it's more like, here's the positions, here's what's good position, here's what's not a good position, basic escapes, strikes are strikes allowed, groin strikes, grab, pull, whatever you got to do. But I'm like, listen, if a perfect, and I actually realized I had the wake up call. I did a seminar with uh, Luana Alaziger a long time ago. And it's just like, I re- watched her run through like 10 male black belts in a row. And I'm like, man, if you run into even like, I don't know, a decent high school wrestler from in the States, you're fucked if you don't know how to grapple. And, and it really, you do need it. It's just like how you approach it. And I know you and Rob are always like, eh, if it doesn't work on a black belt, fuck it. Uh, like arm bars from the guard. I, I never do them because it's just like, I'm not going to get them anyway. My short little legs, <laughs> it's hard to throw over and get the leverage, but it's like that disconnect between reality practical biology like i say you can't cheat physics size matters you can cheat it with biology if you kick them in the nuts you have a few seconds you know stuff like that um and and just learning how this works the physics and biology uh and actually i think objectively like i had a krav maga instructor who approached from first principles first and then i met uh rob and you and then it's like it really opened my eyes like oh this is a much better way to teach i think the the the, the base principle of the, the concept. You guys do levers and frames and uh, all that stuff. Um, I find though, a lot of people, when you start talking about conceptual, they just like glaze over and they're like, what the fuck? I just want to like, how do, how do you deal with that? Because I, I, I love the conceptual stuff, but so many people hate it. Like, how do you teach that and deal with it when you run into that? 
I'm going to leave that quick pause just so I can take a leak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we're going to get into that. I've been drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> okay, so we're back. How do you handle that situation, if you recall? Yeah, it's incredibly difficult because you're we're going against the grain of how things have been taught for a very long time and so there is becoming increased popularity towards a conceptual approach where we talk about like the underlying physics and reasons behind these techniques and why they work but you still got a lot of gyms and individuals that aren't used to this approach and so then also with that you have people that are trying to do it that aren't good at it and so it becomes a more cluttered mess. And so jujitsu is very complicated and there are so many techniques like at 12 years of training and as a black belt, there are certain things and certain guards specifically that I just have not spent much time in. There are techniques that I haven't really bothered to touch or techniques that I know of, but I haven't bothered to refine and get really good at because I'd rather be good at a select few kinds of submissions and finding multiple paths to get to those submissions rather than having every submission kind of just be average at best. So you got a, so much with that. And then you're trying to throw in this other idea. And if it's not explained in a concise, systematic way that bridges that gap, it can just kind of become more muddled. And so that's where like Rob's done a really good job of creating a overarching set of concepts that are tying into everything. And so from a cognitive like learning strategy, we're looking at how we can actually like make this simpler and that you can learn this and break it down into smaller chunks. And you can take those chunks. And then when you learn something like say the arm bar, and now we go back to talking about the triangle where then we move towards the rear naked choke, there's gonna be certain concepts that can be explained and linked to all those. Obviously chokes, strangulations are gonna be more interconnected to other chokes and strangulations and other joint locks are gonna be connected to other joint locks where then it's like, oh, I'm not just learning this whole brand new thing over again. I'm hearing the same, the same concept of alignment-based posture structure. We're talking about frames and levers. We're talking about center of gravity, stability, and balance. Talking about these things that are always occurring and then gives people the idea of how to have some recognition about what's occurring. So that like the technical approach to me is kind of like babies when they're playing with the, the toy where you got like this, the blocks of certain shapes and you're trying to find the corresponding hole to put them in. At first, the baby is just taking that shape and there's just frantically kind of just jamming it until it eventually works and then it works and they're like yay that's great but they had all these the points of failure because they didn't understand where to actually put that shape and so eventually it becomes not even a game to us anymore we just look at it and go yeah circle goes to circle triangle to triangle it's simple we understand that and that's what starts to happen when you it'll happen faster if you understand conceptually i don't know if you hear my cat screaming in the uh, back there. they're getting close to dinner time uh where people are able to recognize what's going on instead of just being like, Oh, I need to find, I need to try and make this one sweep happen at all times. It's like, you start to have a better understanding of Kazushi so that you can off balance your opponents. So you can create a vulnerability by breaking their posture, by denying them some base, by affecting their structure, which is the efficient, effective positioning of their limbs to create those openings to then make techniques work. And so if it can be explained better, then that's where then people will be like, oh man, I can, I can understand that. Or when we're doing seminars, sometimes my blanket universal kind of like speech on alignment is not enough for them. But when somebody has their own actual problem and I can explain how 
these concepts tie into their problem, then that will be that next hurdle that kind of breaks through to them where they're like, okay, now I can actually personalize this message that you're sending to me. Now I get it. Or also in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the great thing about just learning, and this is for technical and conceptual, is that I get to beat the crap out of people. And so to a certain extent, especially with lower belts, obviously other black belts are going to like hold their own or beat the crap out of me. But when a student's trying to learn something and they're resistant and they want to have, uh, they want to try and do it a certain way, whether the technique itself is crap, which is certainly uh, something that occurs all the time, or they're just, they don't understand when or why to use that technique. They don't understand any concepts behind it. They get to experience failure over and over again, whether it's grappling with me or grappling with uh, students of similar belt levels. Like we have the visiting student program at Island Top Team. So we get people from all over the world that come out and Rob does a really good job building high level white belts and blue belts, which is like the majority of the club as most clubs. And we have other white belts and blue belts come and they're like, holy crap, you're, I remember that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Your blue belts have such a advanced understanding of guard retention. It's like, well, I mean, they have a few techniques, but they understand how those techniques tie together and they understand the main goal of guard retention and the different ranges of guard and when to use those tools at the appropriate times rather than some brown belts even that I've trained with where it's just like, man, your guard retention is just a mess in certain areas. Like really great skills technically, like the techniques, if I told them to rep a high leg or if I told them to rep a Granby or to show me like a hip escape and other stuff, uh, they're going to be probably brown belts at all those techniques. They're very good in these individualized parts. But then when we put it together and the understanding of how we tie that together and when the technique is the appropriate time to use it. And when you want to actually use other techniques instead, or maybe they're missing one technique because they're not looking at the full picture, then all of a sudden it starts to fall apart when somebody can exploit it. And so that's where we have false positives in other gyms where you got people that just aren't great at jujitsu or your training partners. Like if you're doing anything on a white belt, you could do it horribly. And so you can be like, man, my triangle choke is really good. And it's like, well, you're doing it to white belts. So they don't know how to defend it. They don't know how to do anything. They probably also aren't comfortable fighting that submission to uh, the very end because they don't know what their limit is, especially with joint locks. That's more uh, something that happens because no one wants to hurt themselves. We all have jobs for the most part. And so then people will come and train with higher level people. And that's not just like us. Uh, It's going to be anyone that's higher level, especially those that compete. And then they'll be like, man, I cannot set this up. I can either never actually get that thing that technique set up like a triangle i can never enter that position or when i do i just can't actually finish anybody or when i realize that this is i'm shitting the bed with this triangle i don't have an exit strategy and so i just get my guard passed every time and then you go like man here is a legitimate submission that we see at the highest level but i can still train this legitimate submission poorly and so there's uh, the conceptual approach to it i think is definitely like the better way for like uh, as a learning strategy and you gotta it, be really good at explaining it to people being able to teach it and you also got to be able to back it up because if rob was talking about all this conceptual stuff and when i first trained with him if i just beat the shit out of him i would have been like cool man i'm gonna <laughs> go back to this other gym but it's like rob got to shit kick me after i had trained for several years like four years i think uh, talking about doing the German jiu-jitsu with submission grappling and then actually doing some Brazilian jiu-jitsu at some other clubs before Rob opened up in Nanaimo. Yeah. And then we were like, I was like a four-stripe white belt. I could beat up most of the blue belts in the area. All our jiu-jitsu sucked. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not like 
blowing smoke at my ass. It's like, I was a big fish in a very small pond. We sucked. But then a black belt came to the area and I was like, most of us were like, Hey, let's see if this guy's actually a black belt because Destroyed. we don't see, we don't see black belts very often, let alone on Vancouver Island where yeah, I live. And yeah, for sure. Now uh, yeah. It's more common now. So we went and yeah, that's also the great thing about the sparring aspect is I got to go here. Here's a guy that's a similar build to me. I got some skill. I'm going to take it to him. And then he just fucking smeared me into the mat, yeah. like hot dog shit. And I was just like, wow, I, I don't know anything about jujitsu. Yeah. And then when he started explaining the concepts behind all the different techniques, there's a technical aspect that I had to obviously rise up to, and I need to improve everything. And then there's the conceptual part that just helps streamline that stuff and level it up. So uh, some people will have uh, arguments of like, what's better, a conceptual or a technical approach. And they'll almost create this divide like they don't exist together. And I don't like that because I'll see some conceptual teachers be like, I don't like to teach techniques. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? Are you? I'm not having a class on today's class is about base or this is a class about frames or center of gravity. It's like, no, these things are always taking place within the techniques and the techniques are the things that we need to visualize and to be able to actually perform these. Uh, and so once again, just like I was saying, kind of with self-defense and sport, I think conceptual and technical are very just closely connected and there shouldn't yeah. be like that divide between the two. Yeah. Oh no, I agree. That's like, that's how I approach my crowd. Now I will say, um, my guard retention got a lot better after training with you guys, just because the concept of it's like, I think the question was, how do I get out of side control? And Rob's like, don't fucking get there. <laughs> and then that just that shift of like, oh, you're right. And then, you know, I'm not a cardio monster and everyone knows if you tire me out, you can pass my guard. But until then, my guard is like, cause I'm like, I'm not fucking letting you pass anymore. And it just that shift. And I'm not the kind of guy who's going to sit there watching videos all day. It's just not me. So if I shortcut with the, the, the uh the concepts it's like oh what am i doing wrong oh my alignment's off oh just fix that oh now it's so much better right well that's the problem solving part of it i'll have white belts where it's like i'll knock them over yeah and then i'll be like why did that not work and they'll be like because i didn't have my foot posted in the right spot so i had poor base and my center of gravity fell outside of my platform of support i'll be like jesus christ yeah that's exactly why that happened perfect like they start to be able to recognize why there's failure and so that's a, a, another important part of that conceptual approach is that white belts, when you first start, your goals cannot be about winning and just measuring success by taps or by guard passes. You're going to have more failure than you are success. And so by being able to even recognize why you're experiencing failure, why your guard got passed, why you ended up in a bad spot, why you got submitted, you, you win in a sense, in the sense of like, well, it's either uh, like you're, you don't, you're never losing your learning, which like I don't agree with the whole thing, but it's like when it comes to like a training environment, yeah. And as long if you just lose and you don't understand, and you're like, oh, I'm just getting armbar. This is bullshit. This guy's better than me. You're not going to get much better at jujitsu quickly. Yeah. But every time you get armbar, if you recognize what happened within that situation, how you either created the vulnerability yourself because as white belts were idiots and we just put ourselves in submissions against skilled guys, or we recognize what that person did to create that vulnerability then it's going to be less likely for it to happen next time because you're going to be trying to correct that. Yeah. And so that's where I love that conceptual approach the most when I see it with people that are first learning is that they start to recognize what's going on. Or I can at least through like a Socratic method of teaching, be able to guide them towards that goal where I can start to ask them questions to funnel them to the answer that they basically already know. 
but they just can't find it. And I'm able to just kind of be like, well, how was your base? My base was fine. Show me. Okay. How was your posture? Oh yeah. My spine was, I had integrity of my spinal column. I felt quite strong there. Okay. How was your structure? Then they'll start talking about their arm position. They'll be like, Oh, actually maybe I had my elbow way too open and that internal rotation of my shoulder. Like my right arm was pretty weak in this situation. I'll be like, there you go. You knew it. You could find it. I just needed to kind of guide you there. So it also helps from a pedagogy side where to be able to teach people and help them recall that information. uh, I think it's excellent. Yeah. And in Krav, like traditional Krav, it's technique, teach a technique, teach aggression, teach you tech, like both absolutely necessary. And then I was introduced to a guy named Nir Maman, who's an absolute monster of a human being, among other things. But he, uh, having grown up in Toronto, actually, then doing counterterrorism over in Israel. And then his approach was the like North American way. I'm going to talk more, even though he can kick the shit out of you. It's like, I want you to understand what you're doing. And it like opened my eyes. This must, this must have been in 2012 or 13, where I'm like, oh, like, because if you ask the average Israeli Krav instructor, why does it work? They're like, because it works. He's on the ground. And it's like, but, I, but that doesn't solve a lot of people's problems. Like, yeah. I need to understand what I'm doing. So then I was introduced to Nir and his teaching style, and then you guys, and uh, thank God I uh, trained with you and Matt Kwan before I went over to Danaher in New York, because otherwise I would have been totally lost, because that guy's a monster. But it sticks once you get the ideas, and it's like, uh, really, it changes people. And once you understand what it is you're doing, I find the learning curve is so much faster Unfortunately, there's always people who are just like, I just need to do it. And I'm like, that's true. But wouldn't you like to understand it too? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it should be a, like, I like to think of it as being like a conscious grappler where it's like you are like any little grip, anything that you do in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu should have a purpose. And obviously as a white belt, you're not going to understand all that. You're going to make mistakes. That's part of getting better. But as a black belt, especially, it's like, I know exactly why I'm gripping certain parts of the gi or grabbing certain parts of my opponent's body for rotational control or for leverage, et cetera. I can explain any of it, yeah. but I'll train with people that are purple belts. And it's like, well, why are you putting your arm there every time when you're trying to knee cut? Yeah. Cause that's what I was showed. Oh, okay. So you're parroting this information. You don't actually understand it. You're just replicated. Now, some people, if they're given the right technique, like picture perfect, and they're learning from like one of the world's best guys, replicating it can absolutely be enough because it's going to be already as perfect as it can be, or at least at a very high level where by being able to replicate that over and over again, and just be a fucking robot with it and not screw up that can absolutely breed success. I think it takes longer to learn. And I don't think a lot of us have the time to put in like that, to learn like that, or in the same sense where, uh, when we talk about being able to assess and problem solve a situation where we're experiencing failure, there are guys that I've trained with that are world champions uh, at their respective belts or at the highest level where it's like they don't understand concepts really and wh- why certain things work. But because they train so much, they've experienced failure so much yeah. that through a process of elimination, they have found what works. Yeah. And so if you go back and be like, well, why did, but it just took them many more hours to realize that those certain paths didn't work and they had to put their hand in one specific spot yeah. here for proper base. It usually still just ties to the concepts where we can eliminate that where like for me, when I first was progressing through some of my belts, I was really only training two, maybe three times a week, yeah, an hour or two per training session. 
but I was still able to keep skyrocketing in my development because it was very disciplined training in the sense that I knew what I had to work on, but at the same time, every movement I was doing, I could figure out, or as soon as I experienced failure, I could correct it immediately and not experience that failure too many times after that. And I would consciously learn from that versus like, if I was just trying to do that by process of elimination, it would take me so much longer to just experience that failure to get to that point where the people, these uh, high level competitors that say train 30 to 40 hours a week, they will naturally end up sifting through the garbage and finding the best stuff also with good instructors. So, um, but for the average person, if you want to be able to cut down your learning time and the development time, then conceptual approach, I think is hands down the best. And then when we have high level competitors, people that are that disciplined on like a piece of shit, like me that just trains part-time, like on Vancouver Island without, uh, and doesn't have like the highest level, uh, teammates to be able to push ourselves like say like a Coyotera association or uh art of jiu-jitsu with the mendes brothers where it's like yeah. you're breeding world champions at every belt and they're yeah. pushing themselves uh you take one of those teams and you really bring in a strong conceptual approach with that too i think they could escalate uh and elevate their game even further death squad basically <laughs> yeah yeah dan or death squad that's what i mean they're like the one example where we can see high level guys training that also have systems and concepts and we can see how they're tearing it up and we can see what's cool is that it is starting to put that conceptual approach more on the map and yeah. people can see that it's uh, a great way to learn but even then some people don't like learning from john danner well it's tough be, like it is he is a whole different he does thing. not dumb down the language too much <laughs> yeah. as well as for some people he talks too slowly i know like obviously it's not new stuff to me so it's a bit hard for me to be engaged but some of his videos are longer winded than i personally like but then there's some people that listen to me or listen to rob bernacki and they don't like our approach so it's like you have Stop to have the, <laughs> yeah you have to have the right approach uh and you're gonna have certain instructors that you gravitate towards and so hopefully with these different uh whether it's different conceptual approaches because like rob bernacki and john danaher are very similar in their approach of these universal concepts but rob will talk much faster uh john, yeah yeah uh, rob does definitely it. not change his personality yeah it, uh that's where like i think a, a large part of our subscriber base and fans just like the uh the political incorrectness and us just being ourselves yeah but at the same time like neither of us or john danaher might reach out to some people and then you have other people that teach very different conceptual stuff where i would argue it's almost not even conceptual it's more just like heuristics where it's like there can still be some interesting ideas uh that create some food for thought and help you like within one small part but it doesn't apply to anything else in brazilian jiu-jitsu and so it's like some of that stuff i'm like that's not really the conceptual stuff I'm talking about. And so some people will look at that and be like, that's why conceptual stuff, the conceptual approach isn't worth it. And it's like, all right, well, there's bad technical approaches and there's bad conceptual approaches or yeah. not necessarily bad, but just not the, the best way of doing it. So that's going to be a, a growing process. So I'm interested to see, especially in the next like five to 10 years, how much the 
the game shifts in uh, the sense of pedagogy, the art and skill of teaching yeah. within Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because that's a whole other skill in itself. Well, in martial arts in general, there's a lot of shitty instructors just in general who can't articulate. And specifically for like self-defense, it's like if you, for me, it's like a legal thing. If you can't articulate why you did what you did, you might be screwed in court. Um, now, something I do want to talk about before your cat kills you um, is your project of, uh, you know, self-defense or use of force for nursing. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to hear about that. And because and, I actually have students who do security, not nurses, but security in one of the hospitals that's quite well known for shenanigans for that and like they're always asking hospitals are yeah. violent places yeah so yeah tell me hospital. so it's healthcare control strategies and self-defense i work protection services for the nanaimo hospital for three years which is basically just a fancy word for like in-house security and uh it was extremely violent and my jujitsu training because of the conceptual approach i was able to modify how i'm using techniques to be able to help control patients and do so effectively and not hurt them. So when I'm talking about like that, I'm not talking about using triangle chokes and other kind of means like on patients. We're talking about even just understanding how to use grips effectively, how to use frames and body weight to be able to control patients in their beds, uh, to how to control their legs, how to escort patients effectively, whether it's just from a, uh, where I'm just being nice and helping somebody and they're not really violent, but they're just struggling or they are kind of escalating a bit, which is why security is there versus actually having to physically escort a patient to like a, a seclusion room in like psychiatric uh, in the psychiatric unit or in the emergency unit where we have to actually segregate them in a secure room uh, and be able to do so under this like even more intense restriction where we're not just talking about like a, a legal level of force, but because it's a hospital and there's this care setting and we have the term patient being used, there's extra emphasis that we are to care for this individual. And so even if I could, if the force was deemed legally reasonable, I'm still going to probably be more heavily scrutinized within the, the hospital setting because man, like a patient's going to be upset. The family's going to be super impatient, uh, uh, super upset about why their grandfather was at a hospital and they, and he somehow ended up getting hurt during uh, medical duties that were being carried out because security or the nurses used too much force. Like it just blows up and then media backlash and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, the unfortunate part is that a hospital is usually a very violent place. Yeah. And we work very closely with patients. So if I'm talking about, say, just nurses as a whole first, nurses work in such an intimate range to be able to do so many different duties. And because they work with people that like no one is happy at the hospital, everyone is upset in some way, varying levels of upset, but they all are ill in some way, whether it's mentally or physically. And so there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of conflict. And some people are going to be right off the rocker, whether it's mentally or because of drugs or uh, they're in intense pain. And so it's a very dangerous range that they work in all the time. And they have no training on how to actually keep themselves safe. And without even any fault of their own, they got into healthcare to care for people. And so it's not their fault that they don't have like this mindset to want to think about conflict and how to actually be effective, like in combat, and so you got, say, a, a female-dominated workforce where they want to care for patients and violence is unfortunately part of the job. 
and the organizations don't do a lot to teach them anything. There's there's time spent with some of the communication skills and stuff like that, because that is always taking place. But when we start talking about use of force in healthcare, everyone just goes, no, 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 you're as a nurse or a doctor, you don't use force. Yeah. But they do. It's not use of force in the sense of like striking patients and doing like intense takedowns. Sometimes takedowns do happen, unfortunately, but even happen to hold down a 86 year old woman that is dealing with dementia and she's very violent. If she soils herself in the bed, we don't have the option of just leaving her like that. We have to take care of her. And so what I was finding is that even though nurses aren't trained for this stuff, they still find a way to get the job done. And sometimes it's not the prettiest. And sometimes they unfortunately get hurt. Sometimes patients even unfortunately got hurt. So it's like the organization is turning a blind eye and being like, don't use force. But realistically, you guys are all having to use force to keep yourself safe. So what I wanted to do is create an instructional and online video course that teaches concepts of distance management and positioning and frames and levers and stuff like that so that they can start to have an understanding of how to carry out even their day-to-day duties as these healthcare professionals to be able to keep themselves safe and also keep the patient safe as much as possible. Now, there's some circumstances where like if your life is in danger at the hospital, you have to actually defend yourself. And there are been instances where nurses or doctors or security have had to strike patients and that sucks, but you have to do it. But for the most part, a lot of the stuff is just going to be like, how do you just control, like, how can you control this older, this elderly patient from being able to bite, scratch you, throw things at you and be able to do like your basic duties? How do you approach people? How do you talk to them? Basic body language. So stuff that's not like the, uh, I think like the self-defense stuff usually gets very uh, a bad rep, especially in healthcare, because it's like, oh, it's either you or me, kind of like this adage where it's like, you got to defend yourself. It's their life or your life. And it's like, well, no, it's not that, especially in healthcare. So it's like, you got to care for them, but you got to be able to control them and be able to protect yourself. And so that's like the the goal is to give them the ability to be able to look out for themselves and be able to control their patient, minimizing risk for everybody. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, I had, I've had like psych nurses throughout the years and it's like, they're just some of the stories they tell. It's like, what the hell? It's something I always like, you know, not specific to nursing. It's like, I've had bus drivers when the bus drivers were getting attacked a lot, like, oh, what do I do? And I'm like, okay, what's your company's policy? And I, when you ask that yeah. question, they always give you crickets. I'm like, cause I can teach you stuff. You might get fired for it. Like I need to work with what you got. Exactly. And, uh, there's just a, that no one ever wants to talk about it in a meaningful way so that I can actually teach them something that's useful. And then, you know, a lawyer gets the whole, no, we can't, we can't bring a Krav guy. Like, how dare you? Like, you don't even know what I'm going to teach. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's been some uh, companies that I've been reaching out to. It's tough with COVID because I can't go in and talk to people and I can't do something like say free seminars where like, that's what I will do when this is over, where it's like, I'll go to hospitals and different like care homes and stuff and be like, Hey, let me give you guys a seminar. So you can see my approach to this, because I promise you it's nothing like you've seen before or what you think this is. Yeah. Cause right now when I email uh, a hospital and I'll talk to their like uh, violence prevention team and I'll be like, Hey guys, like I'm going to give you free access to this course. Check it out. Yeah. That's all I want you to do. Just watch it. Cause I'm sure you guys will be like, Holy shit, this is pretty cool. Like I'm, I'm pretty damn proud of what I've done. 
what I've made here. But I'll still have people be like, no, I'm not interested. And it's like, holy, you could watch this for free. It costs you nothing but a little bit of time. You're part of the violence prevention team. There is violence. But because I'm talking about, say, uh, and it's something that I fought with, with the idea of like what I was naming it, but I wanted to call it control strategies and self-defense because it's like, it is those things. But self-defense has a bad rep yeah. in a lot of things. So, I mean, self-defense in general, as soon as I hear that term, I'm like, that's pr- it's probably garbage. Yeah. Uh, and, then, is and then control <laughs> strategies, control of a patient might seem a little too aggressive. Yeah. Like, like we had uh, uh, Vancouver Island Health Authority spent a ton of money to change their organization's name to Island Health because having the word authority in their name they felt like that just was not uh, conducive to a healthcare environment it's like well there's sure we become so scared of these trigger words so like there's also that where then people are like oh uh, it's control strategies i don't like that so then you get these crappy courses which is why i didn't want to name it like somewhere it's like oh you got like uh violence prevention and de-escalation and it's like i mean yeah there is force being used in this and people are used to like seeing these courses called this stuff or some versions of this every year there's a new name for it and it's crap in the sense where it's like you get a little bit of communication skills and then you're not taught anything of how to actually defend yourself how to disengage from like an aggressive patient how to be able to work with a patient uh that's uncooperative whether it's passively resisting or actively resisting and so then it just becomes like a don't use force and it's like but your staff are using force on a regular basis not aggressively yeah. in a very like nurturing manner to try and get the job done on these patients they care about. But that still means holding their wrist a bit yeah. tightly and pushing it into the bed so that grandma can't strike or scratch them yeah. while they have to try and administer an injection of medication or whatever. Like there's so many things, uh, changing and uh, cleaning up patients who have uh, soiled themselves in bed with their diapers. It's like, that was like the hardest thing. Cause it's, it takes a whole bunch of people. And when you got someone fighting the whole time, trying to hurt you and at no fault of their own, they're in this state of like dementia where they think that we're there harming them and we're a bunch of strangers. It's a really sad, really sad environment. And uh, it shouldn't be seen as like, we're using force and it's putting people at risk. It's like, no, we have to find a way to be able to do this in a more controlled manner because what we're doing right now is not working like we can skate by and make it work to a certain extent which is kind of like what we talked about with the law enforcement stuff where it's like there's not enough issue yet that hospitals have been radically changing the approach or the training yeah but nurses do still get hurt way too often and occasionally a patient gets hurt and until something horribly happens horrible happens or more consistently starts happening we're not going to see a, uh, a big shift like say right now what we're starting to see with our or not just rcmp but like police in general because of these last few cases like we talked about with uh george floyd unfortunately where it's like oh yeah there's becoming a lot more media attention to this we need to change our approach yeah and that's what they're trying to figure whether it changes in a good direction or in a bad direction like we talked about some of the ways that it, it's going in a bad direction um unfortunately it's people people don't want to spend money higher up until it really starts to cost them down below. Yeah. I mean, for me, reactionary one bottom line is more consistent training. And I think that we across the board policing or nursing or, or whatever, it's just, we need to be honest about the violent nature of humanity and that use of force is difficult 
and hard and you need you need to put in the time but i think a lot of people just don't want to have that discussion like the hospitals oh no no no, we're, we're here for healthcare. it's like uh yes but let's talk about saint paul's hospital shall we no we don't want to talk about that where all the drug addicts go and cause yeah cause a ruckus or like you know a lot of these police officers that are in high crime areas and i'm not talking about the the whole war on drugs nonsense oh they're busting these guys for uh for weed which they do need to stop uh i'm talking about these are like violent neighborhoods where they they run into this problem what, like what do you want them to do just not be there anymore uh and whenever they disappear it's uh they're like no no, no come back come back come back because then the gangs just take over and it's like no one wants to have these honest conversations in in and how you have them i'm not sure without somebody's gonna get pissed off but it's like can we talk about like it's violence is violence it's not comfortable it's difficult you need training like i don't know i was i I mean in a sick way satisfied to see that that uh uh police free section chaz or whatever it was called (laughs) in seattle that it went downhill like obviously i don't want to ever see people uh go through pain or death or anything like that but from a certain point where it's like they have this idea of the defund the police and we want police free zones and it's like look what happened yeah bikes and crime rate people died people got uh i think there was a report of a rape or sexual assault stuff was getting stolen like a lot of bad stuff started to happen it's like there are some shitty police officers yeah. and that causes problems, but there are so many good officers out there. Oh. And the reason why we have police officers is because we have learned that people suck yeah. and we need to be regulated. Yeah. Well, and, you know, this is, I'm, I don't want to go down the whole COVID rabbit hole, but I, I yeah. find uh, the illogical nature of application of, of ideas and morals across, Oh, here I'm going to apply it, but here I'm not. So like facts and data, Yeah. Well, let's look at facts and data for like gun crime in Canada uh the current gun grab by the the government is like it's not based in reality or um the you know just application these politicians want to push policies like defund the police it's like what do you think is going to happen and they're just pushing these ideas for votes or for whatever and it's just like if we're not going to apply facts and data across the board and have realistic conversations what's the fucking point and like, why should I listen to you on this area if you're not going to listen to me on that area? And it's just everyone wants to win, basically. And, and nobody's having good middle of the road conversations. About yeah, everything's complete, like the false dichotomy of it's either left wing yeah. or right wing. And there's no such thing as being in the middle. And if you have a leftish kind of uh, idea of one area, then it's not OK for you to have more of a right side idea when it comes to another area. Uh, it just becomes like the political divide right now and it's shut down the two-way communication to have these ideas expressed and to not be able to do so without just being immediately labeled something horrific or i mean there's so many things oh yeah i've given up trying to talk to a lot of people that's why i like jujitsu i just practice jujitsu it's a lot of fun i can't do that i'm all about the politics it drives people nuts but it's like it's like to me the way i like to me, self-defense is so much more than the techniques. It's like, listen, if when you look at history, like for, as a Jew, I'm like, I need to know when to run. And if I'm not paying attention to the political and pe- a lot of Jews will be like, that's paranoia. I'm like, is it though? Like, I'm feeling very uncomfortable, not as a Jew. Actually, yeah. I, don't, I have no problems in Vancouver with that, but just I'm feeling very uncomfortable in the world right now where, you know, it feels like it's pre-World War One. The tensions are so high, but in order for that to make any sense, you have to know history. And I'm like... 
I think America's yeah. going to split up. What's going on with this whole China thing? Can we stop just shitting on Russia? Yes, they're trolls. But like, like, why are we like, what are you guys doing? And then it's just like, I'm just like, like learn martial arts and get guns because I don't trust any of you anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where I'm at. And, you know, I'm just like, I hope things go well because, you know, children are probably in the future and I don't want to have a shitty world for them. But it's like. I don't know what to do if no one wants to have a rational conversation anymore. That's why my wife and I have a bunch of cats. Just like yeah. not going to bring any kids into this uh, this crappy Whatever, world. Cats. We don't like we don't like babies anyway. So cats, those are my children. Happy with that. I like just doing jujitsu, hanging out with my jujitsu guys because similar lifestyles. Uh, there's still different uh, different opinions and stuff like that, but most of the time we're just there to train jujitsu. So it's like, yeah, we can be friends and training partners, even though we have different people that we uh, support politically and different ideas on whether it's COVID or other things. Um, yeah. People just can't really, they can't be as friendly anymore yeah. when we have these different ideas. It's much more uh, aggressive lately. So much for uh, the internet and social media unifying. I'm yeah. So, so then this will be tying in more to the ones again, like if we talk about self-defense and like the idea of communication and being able yeah. to, have these proper lines of dialogue whether it's actual like learning how to debate and being able to uh do that in a way that's more professional yeah. in a sense or like you're not actually just attacking each other and resorting to uh logical fallacies but just how you treat people and once again because now we're gonna we have fights as there already have been where people are now getting into fights at different rallies and protests and stuff like that because now instead of just being able to walk past some people that are protesting, we have to now go up and confront them on their views. And instead of yeah. opening up an actual line of discourse where we're looking to try and actually have a debate and possibly change each other's point of view or change people listening, we're doing it just to antagonize, yeah. just to Don't insult. The internet, it's not a good idea. Yeah, and it's just like, man, we're getting further away from uh, treating people kindly and being able to have uh, decent conversations so yeah. it's probably well, even more important to be training self-defense yeah oh yeah like i'm sure you see my feed i post like i'm pretty aggressive with my my stances on stuff but i i will not engage with people that i don't know i can't have a reasonable conversation and there's people that i know i'm like i'm not talking to you because we're never gonna agree and you're not even trying to meet in the middle and there's other people i'm like you're an idiot i'm not talking to you i used to do stuff like that a long time ago but for like facebook or depending on like the social media platform you're using like i guess for me i never tried to change someone's point of view because i didn't think that would be possible well, i don't I but yeah. it's a public spectator sport yeah. in the sense that i'm doing it so that people can either see how foolish this person is or maybe sway somebody else's opinion yeah um, oh yeah for sure like i put a lot of stuff out there i put it out there knowing it's like aggressive but i'm like i know that a lot of the people have never heard this perspective or never heard this idea or they've been fed one thing only and i just like to put it out there and uh and and fuel hopefully a discussion <laughs> but it uh if you know we'll see i used to do that with religion i would just uh attack bad things that have happened in religion and stuff like that and it's like obviously those debates are not useful yeah. i'm not going to be changing anybody's mind uh with that kind of stuff that was just when i was young and i just wanted to well i still believe all the different arguments and stuff that i had back then it's just like i don't care unless like i see a religious person actually doing something that I don't agree with, like say like fighting against rights for homosexuals, yeah. or then it's like, okay, now you're actually affecting somebody else. But if somebody's actually 
uh religious and that's what they believe in then it's like that's fine because you yeah. can you don't can be a good person regardless of the like religion that you believe in or don't believe in. You can be a good person or a shitty person. Yeah, I think that's pretty universal. So I think uh, I think we covered a fair amount of stuff. Is there any- and some different tangents and whatnot? Yeah. That's that's I can't stay focused for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to discuss we missed or things you want to throw out there? No, I think what has this been like? two hours now it's been a good conversation that's a medium short one to me i just didn't yeah. sleep very much last night so i'm i'm pretty fatigued already but um i was playing call of duty and then i got your invite and i was like oh shit i forgot <laughs> so now <laughs> i'm gonna go back to leveling up one of the guns i'm working on <laughs> but uh how can people find you online because you have all the websites and your your courses yeah so uh my little online brand is rvv bjj and so that's my youtube channel uh i do have facebook and instagram but i certainly don't do as much with that the youtube is the thing i take seriously uh, i have the healthcare control strategies and self-defense if you're interested in checking out some of the free videos on that if you work within healthcare i'd highly recommend it i work with my instructor rob bernacki on bjjconcepts.net so that's purely for like sport oriented jiu-jitsu if you're interested in brazilian jiu-jitsu and a conceptual approach to it then don't forget to check that out in tweets <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Rob's got interesting ways of naming stuff that does hold for memory. People do not uh, forget when we're talking about just like a oh, dick push. You're basically stepping on the other person's dick and you're pushing up on it. Uh, no one forgets that at that point. So I actually I mean, used the uh, the triangle defense against a really tall, lanky, strong guy the other day. I just got my arm in, pushed up, couldn't finish it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. But that, yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope we can train again some point in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. <laughs>